Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return with two hours of post-Rose City Comic Con blabbity-blab. Please ignore whether or not one of us is drunk and focus instead on the big picture. Us discussing the convention itself, Mr. Miracle Number 2, Micronauts by Bill Mantlow, Michael Golden, and a score of others, the Mark Grunwald incarnation of Squadron Supreme, the Tom King interview on the Slate podcast, Captain Phasma, Jaws on the big screen, and much, much more. A highly truncated version of our show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy... Thank you for listening. You want me to put on the basketball mask? Would that make it better for you, Graham? I'm, I'm, I'm recording that. How oh, are you? Are we already on? This is going to be great. Oh, good job. Yeah. Uh, Jeff is drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm just a little... I had You know what it was? It's the drink. rum. Yes. Yeah, the, the rum, I think, did, did yeah. surprise you. It did. Yeah, that is... A, yes, I had a little bit of rum and two Sing Hot beers on ice, which I fully recommend as the proper way to do it. What was with the rum? Why did they give you the rum? So, so they gave you the rum with the first drink, right? It's because you ordered something that wasn't just a beer, right? Well, yeah, the, they, it was on the menu as uh, a variety of specialty drinks, one of which was like the kook gong or something like that, and it was the singha with the ice, which I was very into because I'm very much a big fan of yellow beer as cold as possible. Mm-hmm. But they also serve it with a shot of mekong, which is uh, which is a Thai rum. And uh, it was it was all good stuff, listeners. All good stuff. We shall we just throw a plug in here in case anyone's in Portland? Yeah, absolutely. By all means, we went to the farmhouse yeah. on on Southeast South Orange at Thirty Fourth, and it's great. It was really good. It was it was a really good meal. Yeah, it was great. Uh, there's also apparently a farmhouse in San Francisco that, uh, according to what the waiter said, was uh, just on the verge of being awarded its first Michelin star. No, it has been awarded as Michelin. Star. Oh, okay. Because they had that the tent. They had that before they came up here. Because uh, they came up. Here and it was, it's not just a San Francisco restaurant, it's got a Michelin star. That's, like, that was their selling point. What? Come on, you guys. Come on, for crying out loud. Because, right. you know, it was the, you know, New Portland of, coming from San Francisco is boring. Yeah, right. But this place is a Michelin star. Okay. Woo! You're worth having here. So, yeah, we, we, I, I highly recommend it. If you're in Portland, haven't tried the one in San Francisco, but looking forward to it. And as everyone pointed out repeatedly, or my wife did to everyone else, I'm not much of a fan of Thai food. And it was terrific. No, no, you say that like she said that a lot. It was just at one point it came up. And it was a point of contention. Yes, that's true. Because she said it like two or three times before we got together with Kate Grime. Anyway, <laughs> hello listeners. Hi, how are you? I have to edit this at some point. So no, you, we shouldn't should. edit. We should just throw it up. Oh, Grime, <laughs> after the rum that I've had, please don't use the phrase th- just throw it up. <laughs> It's untoward. It's unbecoming of a lady of my station. So, so Graham, we, so listeners, hello, as you figured out, we'd warned you in advance. We're here. I'm here in Portland. I'm always here in Portland. That's right. Graham doesn't go anywhere else, sadly, unless he's stuck on a ferry for like three and a half hours. Apparently. I, I go to San Diego. I go, like, I go to the, the That's true. conventions. Well, I'm That's true. So yeah, Jeff's got New here. York coming up in fact, right? right? Yeah. And like worrying soon. Yeah. Like three yeah. weeks or something. Shockingly short. Um, but no, you, Jeff, talking about conventions, you were at your first one in years. Today. That's true. The last convention I went to was uh, some time ago. I guess it might have been 
It wasn't. Last, it wasn't the San Diego that you and I went to, right? Uh, that, that would be. Well, we that would be like eight years ago. That would be a really long time. No, ago. was was it eight years ago? Maybe even it was longer. a long time ago. There was there was that period that year that I flew in and then flew out. That was my last San Diego. I'm. And, and that was 2009, 2010? Yeah, so maybe, it 20, maybe it that was it. Yeah. That was it, because if it wasn't that, it was like the the last WonderCon in San Francisco. So You haven't been to years. any since then, really? No, I really haven't. Yeah. Okay, so before we get to today then, why not? Well, and like, I say this as someone who goes for my job. Right. And you and I were saying this earlier, it's really different when you go with a reason that isn't just, I'm going to a comic book convention. Right. Like, if you're working there, or you're trying to get work there, you have a really different show. Exactly. And to so, me, so that's kind all, of like, a that's better all, that's show. All, yeah, that's yeah. all I go for now. Right, right. Like, I, I used to go to Emerald City and not work it. Right. And to be honest, I didn't have a particularly great time. It's a good show, mm-hmm. but I just, I felt at a loose end. I, I was like, I don't know why I'm here. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking to people and interviewing them, well, writing it up. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why I'm here. I, I feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and this, this is the thing. It's funny that Graham's actually asking this, uh, everyone, because one of the things that we more or less, <laughs> that happened at today's show was we talked about how uncomfortable we feel actually going up and talking to people unless we really know them well. We're terrible fans. That's what I realized. Oh, well, that's true, too. We are terrible yeah, fans. We absolutely are. We absolutely I mean, in, it depends on what you want from fans, because one of the things I think is fascinating... If you do want people to, like, buy and read your stuff and never talk to you, we're great fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that place, <laughs> we're great. And I think there's something to be said for that, but it is, apart from us talking effusively... Like, we've talked effusively on the podcast about people that were there at the show, and I could not bring myself to go forward and, and talk to them. Oh, who? Who? Uh, who? Who did you not talk to? Well, I mean, there were there was a ton of people. Some of them, admittedly, were people who weren't at their um, their station. But of yeah, course, like, you I'm, pointed I'm out, sad we didn't see Bob Starr. I'm sad right. we didn't see Paul and Colleen. Uh, right. Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. Uh, like, I saw... This is, gets back to, like, us being scared to talk to people. Yeah. Erica Henderson was there. Oh, my God. And I God. love Erica Henderson. Right, right, right. Exactly. And I've even talked to her before. Right. I've talked to her, like, I've not only interviewed her, but, like, I talked to her in New York Comic Con last year. Right. And I I, I was like, there's people there. I, exactly. I can't go up. There, there, there was one point where we were in, I don't remember, I feel like the station, I don't remember if his table was right next to Babs Taro's in another place, but we went really, really close to Cameron Stewart's table. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Jesus, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Because I think Cameron Stewart's work is actually really good. And I just couldn't think of anything more uncomfortable than being like, oh, hey. And it's even sort of worse when there's kind of this weird, like, they might know you, but they might not. Like, who be that's, that's another. Yeah. I told you earlier on today, and I will not tell you listeners because it's really embarrassing, but I have a very embarrassing, I didn't introduce myself to Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Uh, Bre- uh, Brendan Fletcher. Fletcher. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I have, I, Cameron sure someone else I've never introduced myself to, despite the fact that I have known him online. Right. Since 1998. Oh my god, Graham, that's ridiculous. That's like 20 years. He and I used to both post on the Barbalist message board before it was called Barbalist. Wow. Like when it was an Invisibles fan site called The Nexus. Wow. Like I've known Cameron online since before he had his first professional work. Right, right. I I cannot introduce myself to him. Right, right. So it's, it's just a, it's just a very weird situation for me. So, Basically, listeners, uh, what I found was, and Graham, 
one of the things that I found was the cons were sort of optimal for me. There was a stage at which I went before and they were just anxiety producing affairs. Cause I always felt no matter what I was doing or what was happening, I either wasn't doing it right or there was something more important that I should be doing elsewhere. And the three years where I went to San Diego, <coughs> bless you, to pitch work, I, um, I found myself suddenly having, well, cause the very first year that I did that with you, Graham, in whatever year it was, God, like 2005 or just, No, cause it was, No, it was 2008, cause I remember I've been married been, for like three years and we But also we'd been doing it, we were doing it for IO9. Right. It was the first year IO9 was there. Right. So, it might even have been 2009. I can never remember what year IO9 was. It's, it's 2008, 2009. Yeah. So, but, uh, and I remember um, suddenly having this thing of because I was going to sing for my supper and basically write a few pieces for I Nine and hopefully kind of semi break into doing the article gig a little bit. Um, I had to rush back and forth writing panel doing being um, at panels so that I could do the write ups later. But in addition to that, I had some meetings with people or that I was trying to meet with to try and pitch to and. Um, and that somehow was great. That took a lot of the anxiety away because there was a lot of focus. You, you know what you're there for. Yeah. Is the thing. Which exactly. is what really works. I was saying this to you earlier, but like these days my conventions when I'm working them mm-hmm. are great. Right. Because I know why I'm there. Right. And if I get anything else mm-hmm. for myself, that's a bonus. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and that, that works really well for me. Yeah. Like yeah. the idea of going, I mean, even just today, we were there for what? Uh, Five, six hours? Yeah, I think so. I think, and, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to leave. Yeah. Like, I was like, I've, I've seen, I hadn't seen everyone I wanted to see because a lot of people weren't there. Yeah. Or a lot of people were busy. Right. But I'd seen everything I wanted to see and yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly antsy. It's time to leave. Yeah. So, so there is a thing about, like, I think the definition of why people go mm-hmm. to cons, I mean, one, I wasn't going to cosplay, so that's, that's one thing down. You could start. I could, but I couldn't, I really did have that moment of like, I don't think there's a character I could really cosplay I as I swear well. to God, you get a good wig and you could be Alan Moore. <laughs> you got the beard. It's true. Maybe I should try it. Get the beard and the, the rings. Yeah. Um, that would be actually kind of fun. Uh, I, I, I just, so it's like, if I don't cosplay, I can't bring myself to introduce myself to the people, mm. depending on my degree of interest in panels. Like, I don't know enough to know the good panels from the bad ones. I like, cause I went to the ones on my own, of my own volition, and a lot of them are varying degrees of blowing smoke up your ass kind of thing. Uh, and so there's, it's like, it basically boils down to shopping, and again, unless you're buying like at that one graphic novel table where were we at, where there were $5 graphic novels. Cosmic Monkey had like the best sale. What, was that Cosmic that was Monkey's Cosmic table? Monkey. Oh, okay. Again, Cosmic Monkey, ironically enough, listeners, I'd gotten our tickets from Cosmic Monkey, Monkey, and I dropped like, I dropped about $50 there on various graphic novels. Just yesterday? Anyway, just yesterday, right? So, because I went and I was like, oh, I'm going to treat myself. So, so there's kind of that thing of, with a few graphic novels aside, God, this is going on forever. I just basically (laughs) was like, there's no reason for me to be there. Like, I'm there, and it's that weird, I don't know, there must be a specific term for it, where you go and you do a thing, that's great, that poor person across the way who just closed their window, sort of semi-slammy for 
That's like what we call Portland aggressiveness. And, uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, I, it just, there's that weird thing of like, I'm in the place where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not, there's no reason for me to be here, weirdly. So. Did you have that today? I think a little bit. I mean, no, but in the sense that you and I were talking, and this was the great sort of irony that uh, I think is worth sharing, is you and I walking down the aisles, like Graham, because he's uh, intelligent and multitasky, is able to talk to me and also look and take in everything that's going on. And unless I'm stopping and staring at something directly, I just, I'm not taking it in. I completely enjoyed the two hours or so that we had I mean, it was less than that because then we bumped into someone else we knew and went out to lunch. But the 45 minutes of you and I just talking and gossiping and walking up and down the aisles and chatting, that was great fun. But I also had this weird thing of like, well, this doesn't really count as a a Comic-Con because there were so many situations that we weren't even necessarily talking about what was in front of us. It was you and I catching up. Like you could – it's like waiting for Godot. You could put us – on a, on a barren field, and we would still basically talk about the stuff that we were going to talk about anyway. Oh, God, that's kind of tragic. I know. It? it is. It is. But comical, which is the point of waiting for Godot. So. Comic. Oh. Oh! oh. Ah. Ah. Our new podcast coming soon. We're going to read one <laughs> caption of Alan Moore's Miracle Man, follow it up with 20 minutes of dad jokes, and then I'm going to read... Are you going to read, play Dream Daddy? Yeah, I'm going to play Dream Daddy while while Graham basically tells me that I'm doing it wrong. So, I, look but, for that no, soon. But what, we came up with a name for that earlier on when we were making that oh, joke. what was it? It was going a to dad be of flying. a dad of flying. There you go. See, now you know what you're missing out by not walking around the con with us. So, yeah, that would be great. A dad of flying. <laughs> anyway, Graham... Jeff, what what else? What else should we talk about? Was there anything in comics this no, week? Yeah. Uh, probably, but I, <laughs> before we even get there, I want to know what you bought, uh, the graphic novels you bought. Oh, uh, what did I buy? Uh, I bought this enormous, like it looks like a, a, um, one of the volumes of the OED. It's basically this like nineteen hundred page manga that's about the life of Tsuma, uh name. I was going to say otaku, which is so wrong. This is where the buzz... Yeah. 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 So the great you know, god of manga, of course someone did like a multi-volume manga biography of his life that got collected in one super volume. And then uh, Quintaro, I think is the name. It's sort of this weird sort of goofy looking kid who has supernatural powers and he's sort of a great... I think it, I don't remember who who translated that. Uh, it, it, I adapted it here, like Seven Seas, maybe. And again, I can't remember who the uh, artist is. If it's that great um, horror artist, or it is a great horror artist. But I picked up the first two volumes of that, and then oh, uh, Popats, which we talk about on the podcast. So you you. Did get it? I thought you were saying that you were looking for it at the show today. I, I wanted you it. to find it on the show. I literally bought the last copy from Cosmic Monkey. I've got to say, you've just said that, like you weren't paying attention to what was happening on the show today. Something I noticed that was really unusual mm-hmm. about uh, Rose City. Did we even say we're at Rose City? Jeff, Jeff and I were at Rose City today. That's, that that that's, would help. That's yeah. the convention we were at. Yeah, yeah, we were yeah. at Rose City. Um, I didn't see dealers selling individual issues. I saw dealers selling, a lot of dealers selling books. I saw a lot of dealers selling sets. Yeah. I saw dealers selling back issues. Books, I sets, and back issues. I yeah. didn't see dealers selling 
like new comics. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of weird, but also it made me think, I don't think I saw that at San Diego with the exception of, like, here are all the really expensive variants for New Well, comics. so, right. right. So there's really experienced like, variants. Whatever happened to dealers taking new comics to shows? Are they just assuming that no one's wanting them? Uh, that's a really good question. I'm sure a retailer would actually answer, and I would think the answer is probably... I mean, they probably... Uh, like, it's multi People set up, like, pool lists, and so they wouldn't be buying well, it. Well, see, that's it. Yeah. Or... They're getting them digitally. It's just, it's super weird. I realized, like, we did, because we looked at almost all the dealers. Right. You may not remember, but we did. We, yeah. we looked at almost all the dealers yeah. today. And I can't think of one who's selling I agree. new single issues. Yep. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll find a corner and there was one, but I don't, I don't, I agree with Graham. I think that, mm, I've got multiple theories, of course, as I usually do. I think that there's a lot to be said for, um, the, the the people who buy comic issues already are getting their comics elsewhere. Right. Right? So yeah. they're looking for back issues or maybe they're willing to buy sets. The people who don't traditionally go to a comic store to buy comics aren't going to start with single issues. They're going to buy graphic novels. So it's really a good place to shop for graphic novels of various sorts and stripes. But, yeah, the individual issues of new comics are gone. What I was surprised by, which is a thing that used to be a comic book staple, uh, is, and I would think with Marvel this would be happening a lot, is, you know, um, when you have variant cover incentive programs, uh, you know, where you have to buy a certain number of copies before you can get your variants. Sure, yeah. It's really common for comic book retailers to... To offload them. Yes, at conventions, and maybe because a lot of these were local retailers, they wouldn't actually do that at a local show. But I really have memories from when I was working comic shows during the 90s of guys who would, like, buy all these copies of Ghost Rider to get the variant well, and then would dump the but regular maybe that was happening because we did walk by and not dumpster dive. But there were a true. lot of bins that were $1 comics. Well, and that's so for all we know, like, all of those it. are full of, like, you know... right. I was going to say Hulk Man, but that's a different So funny, <laughs> I was thinking Avengers for some reason, but I don't know where the incentives would have Yeah, been. but you know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. one of one of the Marvel books has just launched. And exactly. Then, and has, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you have to buy 50 issues and then... In order to get the sketch get cover yeah, or something. right? Yeah, completely. Um, we did see Neil Adams. Neil Adams was amazing because Neil Adams had a variety of sketch covers that he had drawn <laughs> where he was selling for Easily high prices, I thought. You don't want to pay six hundred dollars for a copy of Batman and Robin Eternal number one with with a Neil Adams cover of Batman and Robin on the front. Yeah, it just doesn't grab me. I but, have to say. But wait, do you want to pay thirty dollars for Neil Adams to take a photograph with you with your camera? I love that. I love that he spelled <laughs> that out. Camera, yeah, yeah, yeah. It said very clearly, which I which we were totally like, let's just fuck with him and ask him how much it would be to take a picture of him with his camera. And then whatever price he was going to say, I wanted to say, well, what about if I wasn't in the photo? Which I thought would be great to see if I could get Neil Adams to negotiate a price to take a picture of himself with his own camera and see what kind of price I could break down for that. Hey, you're going back to the show tomorrow. You, I know. You have time to do so that. Everyone, you know my strategy now. You know what I'm going to go for. Uh, we did see Mike Zeg. And Mike Zeg was, was uh, yeah. selling cover uh, reproductions. And that was tempting. It was. Well, he had, he had a show specific G.I. Joe, 
uh, cover that was, I think, was it only 20 bucks? Yeah, and it was G.I. Joe, but it was a recreation of the Spider-Man with the new costume from Secret Wars. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, and then he also had a set of prints for 50 bucks that I think, I want to say, I don't that know was if it was five it was, prints. It was the, for, yeah. it was the uh, covers for his Punisher Mini from the... Yeah, his. which was super tempting, because, of course, I adore those covers. Yeah. Um... And we also saw uh, Michael, Michael Golden, Golden yep. which we were kind of... Um, we didn't quite believe. We kind of didn't. <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, the the ongoing saga that is the Micronauts saga, that uh, Micronauts podcast that it will not start here, is Graham and I both have thoroughly complete, pretty complete runs of Micronauts. I think we both have the complete run. Now, I, right? I have yet to crack it open, but yeah, thanks thanks to the wonderfulness oh, of a podcast listener. Just you wait. Like, seriously, as I said, I, there's, I'm digging through stuff in there and and I love I love those comics. I genuinely do. Yeah. But there's also parts where I'm like, Bill, Matt, what were you doing? You were saying, you were saying, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? The challenge of like, because he's on Micronauts. He's on Micronauts for 58 issues. Well, see, that's it. It's like, and, and the thing with Mantlo that I think is so tough. Monthly. Like, at some point, it's bi-monthly. Well, it's bi-monthly, and then so it goes back to talking, the direct market stuff only. We're talking at least five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, at least. Well, and, and this is the thing, is I feel like Mantlo, who always wanted to have a good long run, I always feel like this is the thing. Like, Mantlo, who's kind of was such a... Persona non grata for a long time, and I feel like has gotten a lot more recognition over the last five to ten yeah. years. But leading up to that, really hadn't, and which always mystified me until I started looking and realizing, like he there weren't all, he didn't have a lot of long runs. Apart all of the ones from that he Roman did, Micronauts, which right. you can't reprint, which you can't reprint, but are hugely adored by fans. Yeah. There's also, but honestly, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, he had and a long Hulk. run on. Hulk, he had a really and long Hulk. run on. And those are both considered pretty seminal runs, but he did so much work for which it's just an issue or two issues or like maybe it is, five. It is nuts when you look up his bibliography. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really insane because there was a point where he had written I think a, a type, an issue of every single Marvel title. Absolutely. Yeah, which I totally believe, but yet, of course, never really had a chance to get traction. The few where he did, so I kind of feel like Micronauts was one where he was not going to give it up, even though your descriptions of things make it sound like... like he literally cycles through the same plot three times in his 58 issues. Like, his, his overarching plot right. is three... Maybe even four. I'm going to say three showdowns with Baron Carter. You know the, the all of which end right, with his death. Right. Of course. Again, I have to. And say, then he comes back to life the same way twice. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is what? So he's out of the first I'm pit going, or whatever. I'm not going to okay. Fire. Okay. You already said he died and come back. That's that's. You think that's a big deal? And you're like, oh, but you're not going to spoil how Graham. Yeah. It'd be great if it ends up being like a really weird thing. Like I'm making fun it's, of Graham and it's, it's kind of like it's super he springs out of someone's peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Not like, amazingly different. Wow. Uh, I'm into it. He um, he does spring out of someone's head at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, uh, but also that head isn't really a head. It's pure energy. You'll get there. Whoa. It gets nuts. Wow. It wow. gets nuts. Um, but no, it does. He, he cycles through like the same plot points and, and in a relatively short period of time. Do you know what I mean? So, so Carza dies in issue 12. Right. Carza dies again in issue like 29. Uh huh. And then Carza dies again in issue like 58. Right. 
So you're talking like two years between these. Well, yeah, maybe even longer if there's a bi-monthly in there. And then... But it's, it's, like, it's a, it's a really strange thing because, because it is so almost regular. Like, there's, you know, there's, there's essentially like 14 issues and then there's 30 issues. I, it feels like a, a, it almost feels intentional. Right. Like, it almost feels like he's like, no, I'm doing a recurring theme. I'm actually, like, trying to do something with this as a recurring theme. That'd that would be interesting. That, that Karza is, like, Karza being, if you look at Karza as Darkseid slash Darth Vader slash, you know, personification of ultimate evil. Right. And he's not, which is really interesting, he's essentially personification of losing your empathy in pursuit of science. Uh-huh. But that you, that you can't get rid of that. Right. That that doesn't end. Hmm. You know? Hmm. And it's, so it's strange to me that, like, it recurs, but it recurs at an interval and then twice that interval. Right. And that the the revival of the character is the same the two times. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is him literally going, I I I've only got one micron right. story. I've got guys. one micron Or if he's trying to say something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's really weird. You know, I I'd be curious. But there's also things in there that you're like, oh but he is just like Bill Mantlow studied Chris Claremont's X-Men. Well, this, really is, this is what I wanted to talk about, actually, was the thing of... Because when you're talking about that, one of the things I, I, that I remember is... Because I was reading X-Men at about the same time I was reading Micron's, yeah. of course, because they're contemporaneous. One of the things that I really liked, of course, about Claremont's X-Men is how the characters sort of grow and change. But I remember being weirdly turned off by it when... Mantlo's doing it in Micronauts. And the characters do grow and change in Micronauts. Yeah. Um, oh, some of them do. Right. Uh, Bug doesn't, and that's kind of purposeful. Yes. Like, he's given the moments that would trigger the change, mm-hmm. and Mantlo purposefully is like, yeah, but he, he doesn't. Right. He doesn't. He's the comedy character. He does not change. Right. Like, I'll go, and then he was sad, but, like... That's one beat. And yeah, then, exactly. Then like, sort of the traditional standard two got, panel set. Yeah, but you've got um, Commander Ran mm-hmm. and Marionette and a Croyer, yeah, who do go through significant shifts. Right. Ran in particular, yes, goes yeah. through like very dramatic shifts. Right in the book, right o- over those sixty issues. Right, and what's interesting is you like your collection doesn't include the Peter Gillis follow up series, right? Uh. I don't know. I'd have to dig. I'd really have to dig through the box. But Gillis does wacky things, right, with Ran in the net series mm-hmm. that I remember at the time because I didn't really read the Mantle series. I read like reprints of the early issues when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, and then I just didn't. But it, for some reason, I remember picking up a lot of the Gillis series in part sure. because I did read like Micronauts as a kid, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. Micronauts, the new voyages. I like Micronauts." Yeah, and I remember being really turned off what Gillis was doing with, right. with Commander Ran. Right. But when you read the entire Mantle run and then you read it, you're like, oh, this, he's really genuinely taking the lead yeah. from what Mantle is doing. From a, and, and I and think he, that's he's the thing. It through. Well, and this is, is, this is the weird deal for me is like, I followed Micronauts faithfully for the first 12 issues and even after that, but after the death of Baron Karza and Mantlo is kind of like, okay, now I have to start changing the characters in various ways, I found myself being really weirdly turned off. Which is odd, because I'm normally, like, a pro-characterization dude. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but Mantle's character... Uh, 
Claremont manages to do it in a way that feels organic. Organic, exactly. And, and Manlo's Manlo kind of like, uh, okay, now it's this, and it's like, tr- and he and just you, turns a crank. But you'll see him turn into a crank. Is yeah, the thing. exactly. Like it will be, uh, you know, someone will die, and in Micronauts in particular, someone will die a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are real deaths, and some of them aren't. But his go-to for any change in character behavior is someone is quote unquote dead, uh. and it's like he really does a. a bunch mm-hmm. and i was saying this to you today one of the things that he does which is hilarious is fake deaths mm. a character will be shot in earth when they're on earth oh you and they're like they've been reduced to atoms right and then the next issue will be like when i said reduced to atoms they've been shrunk back down to the microverse and he does that Four or five times really? in the series. Wow, that is just crazy. And you have characters going, I can't believe, like, Marionette is dead. Right. And then turn the page and it's like, Marionette's not dead, she's shrinking. I can't believe a Croyer's dead. A Croyer's not dead, he's shrinking. I can't believe Mike, uh, Marionette and a Croyer and Bug are dead. They're not dead, they're shrinking. And he keeps on doing it to the point right. where he has to lampshade it at the end. Wow. By having Marionette be like, I have long theorized. That when we appear to be reduced atoms in Earth, we're actually shrunk down due to our genetic makeup. What? Yes. Wow. And then hilariously, so she says this, and it cuts to Commander Rad back in Earth. In the same issue, he goes, I remember Marionette once told me that she had a theory that when we're reduced atoms, and you're like, he's he's literally... Oh my on, god. Like, it's There's so many, like I said, there's so many things... That you read this comic and you're like, oh, this is terrible, but also so great. Right. So great. Yeah. 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 It's it's super, super, super fun. Uh, and then the last, like, year, when Mantlo goes, fuck it, I'm trying to do Kirby Cosmic. Right. I can't. It's... I've told you about my theory of the Beatles, right? I don't the Beatles you... tried to do... Tried to copy people and did it badly and did something else that was new and exciting. Uh, that makes a lot of sense for me. So, Matlow is trying to do Kirby Cosmic right. and failing and coming up with something that is all his own flavor of Cosmic. Oh. And it's super interesting because it's like weirdly hippie. Because uh-huh. Matlow, there's a great issue where Commander Ran is, and this is like midway through the run, it's, it's before it even gets Cosmic, quote unquote. Uh-huh. But, Commander Ran is in a, a coma mm-hmm. because... I can't... Baron Cars is dead, but maybe Baron Cars' death put him into a coma or something. I can't remember. And they're like, how are we going to get him out of the coma? And they're on Earth. And Doc Samson shows up, of, of all things, and oh. it's like, guys, I've got to tell you about this modern psychological theory where, you know, and he's like, you know, there's the right brain and the left brain, and you've got to build bridges between them or you will not be a, a, a full, a fully uh, functioning... Integrated person, yeah. And this being Micronauts, that means let's shrink down and go inside his brain. <laughs> but I build little bridges. But there's actually a footnote that's like, we're not making this up. This is the book. This is the author. You can read about it. Mm. And it's like, Mantlo's doing this a bunch. Right. And it's so weird to see Mantlo being ambitious in a way that people don't think about. He invents a language. Mm-hmm. It's a written language. But like, you get the the alphabet key. Oh, I remember like, that alphabet in, key. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. know? He's he's inventing the cultures of the different worlds, which are in many ways literally like what did Mantle grow up with and what did it rip off? Right. Like, Micronauts is an astoundingly derivative series. Right. 
but in such a way that it's just like everything's derivative and it's derivative of so many different things. Right. Like there's fucking like Egypta or something, which is like one of the worlds in Homeworld is like fucking Lawrence of Arabia. You know? That's and you're like, this is amazing. Like you're right. Star Wars and Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Why not? Right. You know? Why not? And, and it's, but it's that, um, you and I have talked about one of the great things about early 2000 AD. It's just how shamelessly derivative it is. Yes. And Micronauts is that. Right. Micronauts is this weird, wonderful 1970s Marvel 2000 AD. Right? And yeah. you're like, this is, this is great. This yeah. is like shitty and wonderful at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah, because there's just so much stuff that's in there and the energy. I remember reading some comics journal review of Micronauts where they were kind of, where they didn't entirely shit on it, in fact, where it was kind of like, oh, you know, where finally Mantlo's Mickey Marxism finally makes sense, which I was like, Mickey Marxism? Yeah, which I'm not quite sure. Uh, well, I think I would have to look, but when you mentioned sort of the various planets of Homeworld, even mm-hmm. though it's just sort of Star Wars slash Flash Gordon 101, I feel <coughs> like there is a level in which what ran and team are fighting against is very heavily an, a colonial imperialist culture. Yeah, but also it isn't, isn't, because it's also, um, and he never outright says this, but I think it's clear from the the, the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ultimate uh, output of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Right. Where, where, where makes where, sense where, with the uh, Mickey Marxism. Where youth sense. becomes a commodity. Right. Uh, but there's, there's an underclass. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's, there's, there's a very clear underclass. But the underclass happily submits to being the underclass because part of it is they get the chance to enter a lottery where they will be, be raised up. To, to, to gain, like, because right. the body banks, you may or may not remember. Yeah, I like, remember. Oh, it's right, like, the body It's cloning. Banks. And so, yeah. like, the underclass feeds the body banks. They become the spare parts for the rich. Right. Literally. They uh-huh. literally become spare parts for the rich. But they also enter into a, a regular contest, and the winner will get a new body. Wow. Well, I have to, you know? I have to, I, A, I have to say that's it's pretty dead on as far as capitalism right. goes. Yeah, yeah, I was like, that's it's, it's kind pretty of nuts. accurate. This is like yeah. a, a 1979 comic book about yeah. toys. Right. That is also, like, amazingly, like, Star Wars slash Fourth World derivative. Yes. But has this in it. And one of the, the, Recurring themes and Mantlo undercuts this for cheap dramatic effect at one point. Mm-hmm. But is whoever becomes the ruler becomes corrupted by being the ruler, mm-hmm. and, and and literally goes immediately from we must overthrow the system to well now I'm in charge of the system. The system's going to be fine, right? Well, which is very much a little bit of I mean, it's slightly different from one of the great things about Lucas. In the years after Star Wars, because of course everyone wanted to talk to him before Empire Strikes Back, he really talked a lot about what he intended to do with his nine film cycle or yeah. whatever. And it was very much this idea of the circularity of the rebellion overthrows the Empire, right. becomes the Empire, must be overthrown. Yeah. You know. And, and that, that is, that is something that Mantlo, like, it, it's, it's subtext to the point where it's text. Like, it's so subtle subtext to the point right. where it's text. Wow. Uh, and what I really like about it mm-hmm. is there's a, a 
there's this, uh, a very, it's not exactly a very clear faint, but like when you've read the whole series, you're like, well, I totally see what Mindblow was doing all along. Mm-hmm. But he never really has the, the character's question that, of course, that's the way it's going to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He never has, for all the character, the way the character's like, I can't believe this morally upright hero is now our dictator. Right. Like, you know, maybe one character will say that, and everyone else will be like, no, of course that's the way it's going to work. Right, right. That like, is, I, that's, that rings a bell. You I know, like, like, of, yeah. of course he's yeah. going to become corrupted by power. Of course right. power is going to corrupt him. Right. Of course other people are going to sell out, because that's what people do, is like, this weird theme in this comic. Which may have been also part of what ended up turning me off from the comic in the sense of like, oh yeah, the characters change, they become corrupted, and everyone else seems kind of crazily blasé. Like, maybe a little alarmed, but only alarmed in a sort alarmed of... Alarmed in a plot point way. Y- exactly. Alarmed as in like, not him. Yeah. Not as in like, oh, anyone, like, it's terrible for anyone, but literally like, not him. Yeah. Not him in particular. Right. Yeah, right. it's super, super... It's such a weirdly rich book, which you don't expect. Right. And then when you read the Gillis stuff afterwards, it's it's insane. Mm. Because Gillis essentially has the characters, but does away with everything else in the series. Like, literally is like, and then we'll take the characters to a, a totally different point in space, where, the, like, there's no cars anymore, there's no whole sure. worlds anymore. Right. Uh, and I will tell my, like, J.M. DeMatteis... Esque, like, right? You know, parables of this humanity. Is the, yeah, this is the meaning of life and yeah. why we are all spiritual beings. Right. You know. Wow. So it's like you know, it's it's eighty issues all told hmm. of just prime sort of next generation cosmic marvel. Right. That people just don't remember. Right. Right. Yeah, that sounds great. Bye, micronauts, everyone. Go start, for it. Start trolling the Vikings. Now, now you know if you're at Rose City Comic Con tomorrow, not that this episode is going up in time for that. Time travel. When you hear this and then invite time travel and go back to Sunday of Rose City Comic Con. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I guess that Domingo, Domingo, Domingo. Look for the uh, the episodes of the Micronauts. Um and you should you should crack them open when you get home. I know I should. I totally should. It's hard. I guess it's weirdly hard reading floppies for me. You were saying this. Yeah, it really is. It is a million times easier for me uh, to to actually bust open my iPad. I mean, it's easier, but it's not the same thing. Well, that's the thing. It really isn't for everyone. But of course. For me, I think... Oh, no, that's it. It's not the same thing for you, though. It's just that you prefer the other one. Right. I like, mean, it's, like, it's, it's not like you're arguing they're the same thing at all. You're saying they're not the same thing. I prefer the new way. Right. Exactly. And and I think the thing that... Well, but there is a little bit of the... Because I've got some friends who literally talk about, like, picking up the book and feeling it in their hands and having the substance of it and being able to flip through stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm, you don't care. I don't. I don't. I kind of don't. I literally... I'm like... Holding it, having it on the iPad, it still matters to me. The only thing that really matters are, um, you know, situations where suddenly there's like a uh, double page spread and you got to flip the page. Like I was reading the latest issue of Batman, for example, and there's like something like, or no, wait, maybe definitely The Walking Dead. The latest issue of The Walking Dead has like three double page spreads in a row for the storytelling. Which is sort of funny. Wait, but it's also like that's a killer for digital. 
Yeah. Digital digital still hasn't worked out. Well, you just turn it, and then it blows to size, but then you scroll the next page, and then, you know, if it's a regular page, it just shrinks back down, and you flip it. I don't know why it doesn't necessarily bother me, even though it's it's weirdly intrusive. It really does bother me. Like, it's... I get get really... I'm still weird in the digital thing. Like, I prefer physical, but digital's so much better for me because... A, things are much more available digitally. Yeah. And B, and this is the dumbest reason ever, but I can much easier do screenshots for the, the Tumblr. That mean, that means a lot to me too, weirdly enough. Uh, I've got some screenshots that I still haven't uploaded, but it, it, it does, it means a deal, a big deal to me. Um, again, another shortcoming is, is that there are, um, there's things that you can do, even when it's not a dual page spread. I was thinking of that amazing Jaime Hernandez story from a few years back. I don't remember if it's Love Bunglers or not, but it's, it's kind of the, sort of the apex of this decade long, ro- decades long romance. Oh, between that, that is Ray, Love yeah. yeah. And Maggie, and what's great is they have the two, he's got the two pages side by side that are all the various panels of them throughout their life and then them sort of meeting. And those pages side by side is, it's not a dual page spread, but you're supposed to be able to see one, exactly. You're not supposed to be able to see one page there. The fact that those two pages meeting, so to speak, is super important. And so on the one hand, I'm aware that I'm missing out on that. The other thing that I have to say that I really like is, is that um, I don't necessarily know when the end is coming. Like, there's always a sense when you're reading a comic book of like, oh, this is happening. But unless you top, tap the bottom of the screen and you see how far yeah. through the book you are, mm-hmm. you're just kind of, I, I'm more carried adrift by the narrative because I don't necessarily know. Uh, and then when sense. the cliffhanger hits, it's kind of like, wait, shit, really? This is the cliffhanger? Especially when it's a genuine kind of cliffhanger, as opposed to just the page count was such that they just ran out. Like, I remember, <laughs> the, as much as I like the idea of that issue of Batman and the jokes of war and riddles, uh, the war of jokes and riddles, boy, uh, where Bruce Wayne has the Riddler and the oh, Joker dinner? for dinner. Yeah. Um, you know, that last page literally ends so flat. I turn the page and I'm like, wait, that that's it? Actually, I wonder if that happened in the lat- in the most current issue as well, come to think of it. That would be interesting. This is where I am going to say this to remind you when you're editing. Uh, listen to that Slate podcast about Tom King writing Batman. Oh, right. We should mention that Tom King writing Batman. Yeah, some of the some of the points got kind of pulled and summarized first in Bleeding Cool and also in the Slate article. But the actual podcast where King talks about it, and of course, for it's great. It's this, it's called working. I think I think it's actually called Slate's working. Slate's working, and they're doing a whole cycle related to this Batman comic. Well, yes. or it, it is. It's they're doing Tom King. King. The next episode is Finch. Finch, Dave yeah. Finch. I think they're talking to Jamie Rich. I'm pretty sure they're talking to Jordy Belair. That's right. And I think they might even go down to the letterer. That's like they might cover what each person does, which, which would be, be great. Yeah. I, I've. This sounds like, like, hipster bullshit, but I love that podcast ever since it launched because it's, like, have you heard it before? The other seasons? No. It's literally, what's a day in your life for people of just, like, random careers? See, that would be great. And it's fascinating. Yeah. Like, it really that. is. Because yeah. it's, it's, they get down to the macro level of, like, you know, minute by minute, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Right. You know? You're a coroner. What's the first thing you do in the right. morning? Yeah. And you never think about that. And it's, it's one of those great, you know, other people's life experiences are so different from mine. And, I, you know, you don't think about it. And then all of a sudden you're introduced to it. And you're, right. you're, you have this 
people great moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but this season is all Batman. This season is all uh, the Batman creative team, which is fascinating. It is fascinating. And also, interestingly enough, listening to it, the guy's clearly a comic fan, mm-hmm. like the interviewer. Yeah, because he says at one point, like uh, you and I got like talked the first time when I was telling you on Twitter how great the vision is. Mm-hmm. You know, I see things like that. And King is aware that it's not a comics podcast in mm-hmm. a way that is it's really interesting to me as an interviewer right because king is careful to put things in context you know the eisner's is this right you know when i'm breaking down a page i mean this mm-hmm. and the interviewer isn't right. the interviewer's like splash page and i'm listening to it going like define a splash page right like i know what a splash page is but the people who are listening to this that you said at the start like, you don't need to know comics. Right. Don't know what Splash Page is. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it doesn't, like, it's not a definition that, that is easily grasped. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, I guess that's sort of, not from, not from, not from, not from the title alone. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, full right. page image, say right. that. Yeah, exactly. Splash yeah. Page. Just sounds like, right, you throw water on the page, like water's in there. Like, I'm, ge- I'm guessing it's come from, like, splashy image. Yeah, you would think. I guess. Right. I, I don't actually know the origins of the, of the term. Yeah. But it, but you know, things like that, and and King is the one who's unpacking. Right. King is the, is the one who's like, no, 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 this is the, it's. But it's it's. A I'll really be curious answer. to see in that it's, sense. It's like a, it's like an hour. It's it's like an hour and fifteen minutes. Oh. So it's, it's it's lengthy. Right. Um. So yeah, it's it's super super realism. Interesting. Interesting. I have to say, well, and he mentioned the fact that he might be on for a hundred issues, right? Doesn't he say I that, or think, is that out of context? I think it's out of context okay. because what he's actually saying is he's asked, you know, how do, where do you start with an issue? Mm-hmm. And he says, "We've got what you've got to think about is like what is an issue, right?" And his point is, every issue of Batman I write is part of a greater whole, mm-hmm. and there's there's levels of greater whole, right? And so his point is like, an issue is a chapter of a larger story. That mm-hmm. story is a chapter of a larger run. Right. Like, my run, you know, he's the, he basically says, as a writer, you've got to say how long your run is. I want to be on Batman for 100 issues. And it's not clear whether he says that, mm. or whether he means that, or whether he's using it as, as a, an example. As an example. You well, know? it might be interesting. I mean, he a, is... What's really interesting about it, though, as well, is you may or may not remember that I was like, I like King's Batman, but I like King's Batman much more after the first arc. Mm-hmm. And he, I write, says, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't writing the book properly until the second arc. Because hmm. he said he was far too aware of the audience and he was, he was writing. He, he basically had research and he was far too owned by his research. Hmm. He was like, he was like, I think I was trying to write to please the audience as opposed to writing the Batman I wanted to write. There is, there is that great quote that gets summarized in the, um, in the slate summary where he does say, like, you try to bring something new to these characters. And the only thing you can bring is yourself. Yeah, which yeah. I think is 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 a very lovely quote. And considering where he's at, considering that everything seems to be building to the Selena Batman proposal in issue twenty four, mm-hmm. you would think like, well, is that going to be a halfway mark, a third of the way mark? Is that, it going to be a right, quarter it's, mark? It's interesting. Like yeah. if he's if he's really going for hundred issues, mm-hmm. what does it mean that that plot point falls there? Mm-hmm. Because the answer can send the character off in two very different directions, right? You know, yeah. And so it'd be really interesting. It's also interesting to hear him summarize what that issue is about. Mm-hmm. What What did he say? Do you uh, he essentially says that it's an issue of two halves. Mm-hmm. It's Batman telling Gotham Girl 
what it means to be a hero mm-hmm. and the personal cost. Mm-hmm. And it's Batman telling Catwoman about his inability to be happy and his decision to try and be happy. Mm-hmm. And when you phrase it like that, mm-hmm. I feel like he's he's laying his cards out. Mm-hmm. That like Batman believes that you cannot be a happy hero, and mm-hmm. Batman chooses being happy. Mm-hmm. And right. you know, and in that elsewhere in the podcast, he also makes the point of you go into writing any character like this, knowing that your characters would be. Like, all oh, your run's going to be overwritten. Yeah. And he's, he's like, you know, you can't, you've just got to get over it. Like, right. you, you just, you have to write the story you write. Because the next guy who comes in is going to ignore everything you've done. Yeah. But because of that, I think he's, he's clearly setting up, like, a tragedy. Right. You know? If Batman chooses to be happy over being a hero, but you know that Batman's going to default to the end by the end of your run. Sure. You know? Something terrible is going to happen to Selena at some point in the story. Well, yes and no. I mean, because I think that's the traditional Honor Majesty Secret Service kind of route or route, mm-hmm. I think. I would be... F- or Selena rejects him. Well, or Selena rejects him or something else, yeah. I think. Which I could be wrong, because one of the things that strikes me about... there's There is a point where Catwoman does pop into um, the flashback story. Mm-hmm. And it's basically... She's, she sees Batman. They're currently in the. She's currently in the process of robbing something. He stops her. They end up having sex. She falls asleep. She successfully finishes robbing things. Mm-hmm. Like Selena, unlike various levels of previous incarnations of like, oh, um, Selena on Batman's side is yeah. maybe a bit of a rogue or a cad, but is a sort of a quote-unquote good person, mm-hmm. I think a lot of what King is setting up is the idea of here are two people who have to be true to themselves, which means that Selena may not, she may accept his marriage proposal and then more or less begin the pro- continue thieving or begin thieving and that the betrayal is more of a... Is what drives them apart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but less of the, and then she gets worked over by Killer Croc. Yeah, and no, Batman no, no. I, go, I agree, and I think know. King is much more likely to go the route you're describing than, yeah. than the, the like the you know, and then she gets brainwashed by the Joker. You know, the Mike Park yeah. W R. Yeah. Um, if only because that almost feels like he's twisting the knife more. I <laughs> think that King yeah, really well, likes twisting the knife. He does. He does. You know, he, yeah. he really likes. Um, Hurting his, mm-hmm. his, it's funny, I was saying that to someone about Mr. Miracle. I was, uh, oh, cause, right. cause you know, I, I really like, I read the second issue and I, yeah. I, I just loved the comic. Yeah. But I was like, oh shit, this is going to break my heart. Right. Cause there's no way he's going to give the story a happy ending. Yeah. And I love these characters. Right. And, and in issue two in particular, there is one thing he does with Barda and it's such a simple thing, but it humanizes her more than I've ever seen her humanized before. Mm-hmm. Or makes me feel as if she's more human. Right. And, like, I honestly was like, you're going to really, really hurt these characters. Yeah. And I'm I'm not prepared. Like, I'm going to be deeply upset right. when you hurt these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, but he's going to, because that's what, that's... It's kind of what you have to do in order to get the drama. But it's specifically what he does. That's true. Do you know what I mean? Like, other writers would go for the, the less subtle and ultimately less important route. Do you know right. what I mean? Like... Barda is vaporized. Right. You know? 
and you know King King will go for something that's much worse. He might then vaporize her. Right. But, but you know, yeah. there's going to be something much worse before that. Exactly. Something that'll really hurt. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I was just like, oh, shit. I really like this comic, but I think this comic is really, really, <laughs> really going to upset me. Right. And just that moment of realization of, like, I've got to prepare for like ten months down the line. I'm going to be heartbroken, right? You know. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Again, I feel like as you and I mentioned, I had a theory that you say that King is very explicitly shot down. And yeah. So unless unless he's lying, well, which he might be, or it, it might be something else. I mean, we should say that the, 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 the Jeff's theory is that um, Scott is is in the the life trap. Yeah. That it is basically sort of a revisit of Morrison's um, Mr. Miracle concept. But, but of course, in a way almost, you know, super painfully so, um, played out to, to a length it'll be. But, you know. But, again, but, but King told me when I was interviewing him for, I wish I could remember who I was interviewing for. <laughs> Wired, I think? I honestly can't remember. Right. Um, that no one had guessed what the story actually was. Right. And many people have said publicly, like, it's right. it's a life trap. Yeah. And which does seem, like, a little too easy. It seems... You, I mean, you know what I yeah, mean? The, what's in the sense of, is, like... Like, I don't, I don't know where you got there from, but I saw a lot of people go there from, oh, they wouldn't actually kill Oberon, and they wouldn't kill Highfather. So, therefore, this story can't be real. It's, and that's, that's such a weird place for me, because I'm like, why wouldn't they? You know... Like, that, that only works if you don't have a way of getting out of it afterwards. And in that they're gods, you you can do that. Maybe not Oberon, but definitely yeah. High Father. No, no, no. It, it, but uh, but also like this, you can talk to kill a fictional character. Like, uh, High Father's sure. tried many times before. Uh, absolutely. No, for me it was it was it was a couple of different things. There, just very much the there's a lot of stuff the King sows the seeds of the idea that this isn't the not, reality yeah. that Scott knows. Yeah, you know, there's the thing where it's like Barda's eyes. Barda's eye color is different. You know, there's a couple of situations where where um, Scott encounters things, and then they appear to be different. And so it's just that, but it could very well be a fake out. Of course, the dark side is panels that sort of keep breaking in mm. as this intrusiveness, which of course is sort of a king technique that he uses. Yeah. But but here in this context, suggests a um, uh, yeah, just just that that's the overriding thing. This where is they're a super at. minimal thing, mm-hmm. and it's not really a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But what I something I really liked about the second issue, mm-hmm. there's only one Dark Side is fun. It's good. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I was really worried yeah. that it was just going to be overused. It, and, it and almost it, was in the first issue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in the second issue, it's only used once, and it's used at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. Like if you, like I did, read the first issue of Dark Side. It is Dark Side is the panels are essentially metaphors for, uh, like the ultimate depression, the ultimate suicide lurch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The when it is used in the second issue, mm-hmm. uh, A kind of works because other things are happening to distract him from that. Right. But then when it is used, it has much more impact. It has much more of Because you're like, if this had just happened, mm-hmm. of course his first thought would be suicide. Right. You know? Uh-huh. And I, I, re- I, I really appreciate that it wasn't like, you know, on every page there's a dark side of his panel. Right. Because that, that was a genuine concern after the first mm-hmm. thing. That it's mm-hmm. like, I get it. Right. You know? Yeah. Scott's depressed. I get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was nice to see him, to see them step away from that. That's good. Is that coming out? This week. This week. 
it's a weirdly str- like it's a weirdly strong week for DC this week. There's Metal Two, there's Mister Miracle Two, yeah, and there's the first issue of the Who is Mister Oz storyline in, in Action Comics. And did you read that and like it as well? Yes. Mm. Um, it's like this is going to come out for the, the issue comes out, so I can't really spoil it. It may, it may not. I mean, I was making noises like I wasn't going to upload this until Thursday, but I might not, since as you mentioned. We're, I'm not going to edit it. I'm just probably going to slap music on. Yeah, so it could go um, much sooner. I liked it, but I was not 100 percent convinced. I'm not 100 percent convinced by the reveal. Uh-huh. In fact, the reveal seems so it can't be true. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like it's a shock, sure, but it's such a shock right. that that you're going to undo it or it's a fake out. Like, and do you think it's that? Sort of layered. Do you think Rich spoiled it on Bleeding Cool with his with his? I would not. Be, I would not be surprised. Of course, right. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is it's now Victor Bogdanovich. Is that the artist? The guy, the former artist of New Superman. Oh, John Bogdanovich. No, no, it's Victor. His name is definitely Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bogdanovich anyway, is first was John. So he he's he's doing the art. Uh huh. Um, and it's it's such a Capullo ripper. But interestingly enough, it's not Capullo of metal. It's Capullo of early Batman. Oh. And, and there is like a noticeable difference yeah, in yeah, the styling yeah. of the faces, right? Um, but it gives the it gives the issue such weird weird energy for a Dan Jurgens mm. written script, mm-hmm. um, and maybe improves it. Mm-hmm. Maybe makes it seem more contemporary. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's an oddly disorienting experience. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where the story goes. One of the things that I don't like about it is it firmly places Mister Oz as a Superman character, mm-hmm. and I don't. I I'm still stuck on the well. Why did he kidnap Tim Drake then, detective? Do you know what I mean? Like it feels like they backed down from right. it being a bigger thing, right? You know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be an ex, you know, there's going to be some, some form, sort of like, you know, like, yeah. you know, and really he did that because he's always really liked Robin or something like that, you know? Right. But it's, it feels like, you know, oh, I think you've, I think you've changed your mind as to who this character was. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't see why he kidnapped Tim Drake then. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Which again is why another reason why I'm like, I think this is a fake hit. I, I think there's something else going on here. Hmm. We'll see. But it's weird to me that all three of those issues coming in the same week. Right. It feels like those are th- DC's three biggest books of the the month, and they're all coming out on the same day. Well, because I don't, I think, I think Mister Miracle was a gamble that seems to have paid off. But I don't know if they were necessarily expecting it to. And also, it's not paid off in terms of sales. Oh, right. Uh, has it not? I thought they. I thought it's, they went back to sales. They, they went, went back, back to print. print. Yeah, but orders were not great. Oh, was that it? Was it a kind of smallish print run anyway? Like thirty thousand? Yeah, it's like thirty thirty one or something yeah. like that. Okay, which you don't don't get me wrong is is a strong mid level book these days. But yeah. when you consider the response to it, right? You know, you're like, oh, it only sold that. Like everyone loved it, and it only sold that. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's it seems weirdly disappointing. So we'll see. Well, we'll see. And it may grow, it may not. I, I, I think that there's a lot of level... I mean, you've heard me bitch about King on Batman. I'm not sure. He's not He's not 100% everyone's cup of tea, mm-hmm. you know? So... I, I would I would have to go back, and I one of these days, I'm sure I will go back, and look at the sales figures on Vision. 
Yeah, and I don't. I'd see, and that's it. Whereas I could be wrong, but I think I think I think, I think, I think I they think were so terribly. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's it. I think that between Metal Men and like, essentially, take Tom King away from Batman, and people ordered the books of what they thought Tom King was going to sell at. Plus, yeah, you know what no, I mean. No, no, no. So yeah, um, and so it'll be really interesting because I think, I mean, I I. I, I want to say, like, maybe toward the end of Vision, it was down toward, like, 18,000 or something. Yeah, like that, that right? feels right to me. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, won awards, was called the best book of the year by many oh, sure. people. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm really curious what the life of that is going to be in collection. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a Marvel collection, which means, oh, who yeah. the fuck knows? Because you don't put that into trades. You well, and I think this you is put that in I, I think trades. I think DC perhaps rightfully, was like, yeah, we get Tom King to do Vision for us. And we'll sell it properly. We Exactly. We'll sell thousands and thousands of copies for it, and it will be an evergreen for us. Well, that's just it. I think Mr. Miracle could be an evergreen as yeah. long as, A, he sticks the landing. Right. And, B, they collect it in one book. And I think that's really important. I think so, too. I think that's really important. Oh, to completely. Volume 1 and Volume 2. Absolutely. Like, and that's one of the things that they did right with Omega Man. Which right. kind of surprised me. Yeah. But Omega Man is all in one book. Right. It's a 12-issue series that's all in one book. Yeah. And I think they have to do well, that. Well, because they're aware of that. They're, they're, DC's aware of, like, that's where... Like, when you do a story, it's like... You try and collect the whole story, if, particularly when it's something like 12. Like, yeah. again, there's it's, that But it's deal. so weird to me that, like, Vision is not getting a one-volume collection until the, they're collecting the director's cuts. Well, because it's Marvel. Because it's because it's double-dip and triple-dip. If Marvel had Watchmen, it would have come out in three oh, God, trade paperback volumes, you would know. Wouldn't that be... That, I'm super curious about that. If Marvel had Watchmen, would we have seen before Watchmen? Would we have seen Watchmen? Because Marvel doesn't have a Watchmen. It kind right. of does now with Marvel Man, which is sort of bought. Well, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean that's but like, but does like Marvel doesn't have a standalone evergreen that isn't part of the larger universe. And I wonder, well, if, but yes, no, but they always handle it badly. And frankly, there are things where they will more or less go back and revisit it, as, well, that, as we mentioned. It. Squadron about. Supreme by Grunwald is could very well be an evergreen book for them. Has come has drifted in and out of print mm-hmm. with varying degrees of attention and celebration by Marvel. Mm-hmm. And Marvel, for the most part, I mean, apart from the fact that as you know, Grunwald did the sequel himself, which yeah. I, you and others have not said good things about. Do not read. I right. mean, because you you did end up. Reading I did. Those I did. I did end it up and enjoying it. And because you were, you and I had talked about this for because yeah. was I the one who told you you should read it? Because you yes. were basically like Grunwald's never really sat right. Yeah, for me. he's never really sat right for me. And I'll tell you something that I think is interesting to me is is that I think that still may hold true. Like, one of the things that is weird to me about Squadron Supreme is the extent to which, A, um, it works better as, of course, I mean, it is a book about DC analogs. And it oh, yeah, is a it's, book it's a about book. jail. Very, yeah, it's, it's very much like an Elseworlds JLA story that, because it's set in Marvel World, gets to go kind of spin as dark as it wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were points, there were po- actually weird points in Grunwald's story where I found myself kind of fighting it. Because there's some weird character decisions, there's some bad character decisions, there's some odd parts where the characters are almost 
too close to being analogs to characters yeah. and then weirdly pull back and aren't analogy enough, I suppose. Yeah. He's very inconsistent with the extent to which the characters are the characters they're supposed to be, really. Yeah. So there there's a weird level in which it's um in which I'm like, yeah, it never it kind of never sets right for me, at least for the first three or four issues. And the weird part is is where it then kicked in into the higher gear is is that he really does end up turning it into again, using the sort of DC metaphor, uh he kind of turns it into the ultimate imaginary story. Mm-hmm. Um and at that point, the idea of his like well, what if they can reform criminals? What if they, what if you can reform people's brains? That weird plot MacGuffin that ends up taking over the whole story in a way that I feel is very sort of Silver Age DC. Yeah. Um, and ends up going to, so it's, it's almost like those issues where like, what if Lois Lane like convinced Superman to marry her? And of course in the story she gets a special wishing ring. Yeah. yeah. And then later she finds out that it's evil yeah. and it's turned things dark. He does that similar sort of thing. And that was, I think, the other thing that threw me off about Squadron Supreme at first is, is that, and which I think works in its favor is it's not really Grunwald. At first I was like, oh, it's kind of a Marvel take on the DC heroes, but it's really not. It's just Grunwald having the cover of DC and the establishment of the Squadron Supreme. And it's hilarious because, of course, he layers in ties to Earth 616, the... Yeah, the, Captain America. Yeah, yeah the Captain, Captain America, America stuff. Yeah. And, of course, how it comes out of the tail end of J.M. DeMatzius' uh, Defenders stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all this stuff that's, like, weirdly connected, which is crazy, but then very much goes off in, into its own direction. Structurally, it is a very DC story. I think so. Uh, especially initially, like, for the first, I want to say, four or five issues? Right. It's vignettes. It's like issue-long vignettes, yeah. which are all morality-based. Yes. You know? Right. And then it sort of goes, oh, but I'm also telling this larger story right. within which yeah. the, you're right, the imaginary story de- device, the, the the desire to do good is overtaken by, it's the monkey's paw. Right. By by the fact that, like, bad things will come of it. Right. And the, things, and the things that they create to make that happen. So, interesting. Again, also a really great follow-up. Uh, at, at the time, you were, I know, vexed that I brought up so many other things during the course of our Star Brand issue uh, episode. Mm-hmm. But it would have been a good thing for me to sink in there because Grunwald also has stuff about sex and sexuality, I suppose, that's sort of a step. It's not... It's not, it's not at weirdo shooter levels, <laughs> but there's very much this idea that it, uh, it exists and is a factor in the way people live their lives, I suppose. Yeah. There's, many people have said that, uh, Squadron Supreme is Marvel's Watchmen. And on many levels, that's just not true. I but agree. on many levels, it is. Right. Well, kind of, it, right. It is and it thing. isn't. Yeah. Like, it's not a, it's not a direct analog at all. Right. Grumwald, A, was not trying to do what Moore was trying to do. Yeah. But also was not really capable of doing what Moore was trying to do. I think that, I think that's also true. Um, but nonetheless, it is a surprising, surprisingly mature take on certain superheroic tropes. I think so. Like, you know, and, in, and sort it, of in that same way that Shooter's trying to do a mature take 
on superhero tropes. In the in universe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's like Grunwald's basically doing his own new new universe take. And like two years earlier. Yeah. Before Watchmen, which still yeah. kind of blows my mind. Yeah. That it's coming out before Watchmen. Yeah. Although it also makes sense. I don't think you could have done that series post-Watchmen. No. Well, that's it. It would it would have been too different. One of the things that is actually kind of enjoyable is is how much, again, like I said, it's very much in this weird framework of of Grunwald being able to speak something, speak in a language, like I said, that I feel is related to the DC characters mm-hmm. and the imaginary stories, mm-hmm. as opposed to once Watchmen enters the scene, everything else would change. And yeah. it would build a lot of um, just the storytelling. I mean, because there is a little bit in Squadron Supreme where, and that was the other thing that blew me away, was at certain issues, I would finish the issue and then be like, how many fucking pages was that? And I would go back and read it, and it really was only, like, maybe 22 pages. Yeah, and it's dense as shit. Yeah, it felt like I'd read a 30-page book in yeah. that sense. Yeah. And it just hugely overwhelming. What is... It's funny, because we're saying all this and that, and I get it, I want to come back to... Yeah, don't read the sequel. Oh, I believe um, that. Because the sequel does come out after Watchmen, obviously. Right. And the sequel is far more traditionally superheroic. Yeah. Uh, and much more, like... Pisses away, not just the goodwill, but like the ideas behind Squadron Supreme. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I uh, I can't remember if it was Mark Wade or Alex Ross that said this, mm-hmm. but their argument was basically, and I it, like this dramatically changes who are whoever was saying it. And I wish you could remember said right, but they were making an argument. Kingdom Come is a story about the end of superheroes, mm. and that you can't have everyone go back to the superheroic norm after Kingdom Come. Because everything's come to this crisis point and something has to change as a result. Right. And that's why the last scene in Kingdom Come is, or the last appearance for Superman, Batman, and, and Wonder Woman. Right. It's all of them out of costume. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the idea is they have to evolve past that. And then you have the Kingdom follow-up. Right. Where it's everyone's back in Superior costumes. Which is, again, right. part of the reason why you think it's Ross's right? theory. And I can't wait. remember. I, but that's part... Conversely, that's why I'm like, it really might have been Wade. Because I remember when I saw that quote, I was like, huh. Right. That's you know, kind of odd that you double back yeah, on that. You know, yeah. Which right. makes me think, maybe it was Wade. Right. Um, anyway, Squadron Supreme does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Squadron Supreme, in many ways, argues against superheroes. Mm-hmm. And then this, the follow-up right. is not just a very superheroic story, a very Marvel superheroic story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so just doesn't seem to fit. Right. You know? Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like, I've read the end of this story. Exactly. You know, and, and this story after the end feels like something else entirely. And the fact that it's coming from the same, because it's, it's Grumalt and Paul Ryan again. It's exactly the same creative team that finished the series. Well, that, yeah, finished it exactly. You know? Because Bob Paul disappears like issue seven of the Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is a shame. That's a weird thing. But also Hall's work, I thought, was superior to Paul Ryan's work. I thought so, too. And although I didn't think that it was the strongest work I'd seen from Hall, either. No, but it's it's quirky in the right ways, in the way it's that true. Ryan is very not quirky. Ryan, Ryan, yeah, Ryan's not quirky, and he's also sort of overwhelmed by some of the dynamics. Yeah. Just, just, just wait until we get to the Baxter building, and Ryan does, like, 60 issues of that. Oh, God. Okay. Well, but weirdly enough, which is so funny, considering where we started... I think there's a good argument to be made that it might make a lot of sense to craft a before Squadron Supreme that would sort of lead up to the events of the Grunwald stuff that could... But it, doesn't that exist in, like, the earlier comics? 
I don't think so. I mean, I could be well, wrong. I mean, like the Overmind stuff, like that literally leads up to it is a is a story. Well, is is a, is a story, and it's but... not available at Marvel Unlimited. If you're curious. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I for myself, and again, could be entirely wrong. Uh, and there's also part of me that's like. It seems to make sense, but I think would actually be really redundant. Like if, if someone revisited and actually put it in, yeah, in an appropriate context. Well, in an appropriate context, because I feel like there's a variety of things that are that the relationship between Lady Lark and Golden Archer and whatever the hell's going on with Blue Eagle or whatever, you know, that all builds it. It lends a lot of its power from, oh, if you know the analog. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. it's Green Arrow and Hawkman and Black Canary. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. And if you know that Green Arrow, like how betrayed Green Arrow would be would Black feel, Canary with, yes. with Hawkman yes. because they're ideological opposites. Yeah. yeah. Like the way those things are played and seated, mm. like you, they, you have to lean on that stuff. Yeah. Whereas, like, you could actually do a better job of setting some of that stuff that's yeah. on there. Yeah. Like, um, the Firestorm character, uh, Nuke, Nuke, yeah, is kind of deranged. You know what I mean? <laughs> and is, and, and some of the, the, his character motivation of like, you gotta save my parents or I'll kill you! And it's all like, he blames Tom Thumb yeah. for it. I actually love the idea that Nuke, of course, has slowly poisoned his parents just by being around them, and the guilt sort of drives him semi-insane. Mm. But the way that it plant the it's not the that, that, and that, that. Yeah, it, it's it's such a funny thing because that issue doesn't isn't the end of the story. Like the, right. the issue where he finds that out, yeah, and Thumb deals with it. Mm-hmm. Ends with both Tom Thumb and Nuke still around. Yes, and that plays out later. Yeah. Uh, in a much less satisfying manner. It's much more satisfying when both of them are left there right. at odds with each other. Yes. You know? Well, yeah, because the idea of them, I guess my problem is, is not, and this was, this is one of the things that sometimes happens with, uh, like what I think of as quote unquote bad movies or bad TV shows or bad comics, where you have someone who acts like, not just out of character, but kind of out of the way that people in the world react. Yeah. And no one would actually act this way. Right. Yeah. No one would actually act this way. And if they did, people would be just shrug it off. But like, there's a huge thing there that's powered around Nuke being like, you have to do this. You have to. You promised me and I'm going to hold it against you. You're a fucker and I'll kill you for like failing me. And Tom Thumb's kind of like, yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? And you're just like, no, no, no one would ever think that. Like all of this is predicated like Grunwald shapes that scene to show that like, Nuke is crazy and deranged and leaning on thumb, but in order for him to get to kind of the next scenes or have the things that happen, there's a variety of scenes where people react with shock and horror to things that are shocking and horrifying. And there's also things where they, they just um, don't. yeah, they just react to crazy extremities of behavior. Like, oh, well, that's fair, you know? Yeah. And, and that, that, which is one of those things that throws me off. So, so squadron Supreme is one of those weird areas of like, it's kind of like their quote unquote could be like you said, not their watchmen, but, but kind, kind of, of is. Watchmen? Yeah. Like it is a it's a twelve part issue that's well regarded that you can keep in print and you could again But you couldn't because it's Marvel. They well see that well and imprints. that's the problem with it. They can't keep stuff in print. But I so I remember stuff where um some of the great stuff that Marvel has that they just can't seem to keep around. When DC is trying to do their Sandman year one you know, I'm like, fucking 
get Miller Sienkiewicz in in whatever degree he wants to do to do a sequel or a prequel to Electra Assassin. Like, that's an amazing book that sort of could have been an evergreen if Marvel really had was capable of doing that, but they're not, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a weird question of, like, what could they do, what could they handle, what could they take? I would be so curious to see Marvel and trying to get Miller back on board. I, I, I am too. It it's used kind to, of surprising it's not happened, isn't it? Well, they're, they've not tried at least. For all, they, for all we know, know they, they have, have tried. tried yeah. But I mean, there's also various weird areas where, cause I mean, for a long time, there, there was the unspoken agreement. Electro was Frank Miller's character and you couldn't do anything without her, without his yeah. specific permission. And, you know, Marvel has totally lapsed on that several times over. Oh now. God, yeah. So, so there's a lot of cases where I'm sure Miller is just like. You've oh. literally just made me think. I wonder what Miller thinks of the Defenders TV show. Right. Well, I think uh, I think you would think it was hot garbage. One of the things that impressed me about Daredevil season two is knowing that those guys talk uh, Daredevil season two and the Defenders is how much those guys talk about being big fans of the original source material, and particularly in some of the stuff with the Electra scenes. Um, Acting as if they've never read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As if someone just had sort of described it to them sort of in the Yeah, but is this mind. not like a relatively common thing in adaptations where you... Because you never have anyone adapting anything and saying, oh, I didn't, read, I didn't read it. Well, of course. But sometimes you'll get the actors say it now, which I think is fair. Yeah. You know, um, but... But yeah, no, of course, the whole point is is that, and that is the classic thing, is you have to say you're a huge fan of the material. The weird thing is, is thanks to a weird convolution of, <laughs> bless you, events, I happen, one of my, one of my very closest friends happened to be best college friends with one of the showrunners. And so, so that he or she knows whether they did read and, and knows absolutely for a fact that they did. You know, and knows that they are. And then part of me is like, well, but then why? Yeah, how could you do that? <laughs> like, you know, and sometimes that's just the nature of changing things. And sometimes it's just the nature of, because I think, again, it's my Mr. Like, ah, Drew, when Drew Goddard did this season one of Daredevil, most of the changes that he made to Daredevil were like, I'm making choices that would serve the idea of a Daredevil TV show, but are going to keep people in yeah. in place. Like, um, somebody that I saw on Twitter was talking about the whole, like, why did they make Karen Page a reporter? Like, is that them just covering up? Like, why didn't they just keep Ben Yurick around? And I'm like, they killed off Ben Yurick so they would have a place for Karen Page. Because... Very early on in the dynamic of the first season of Daredevil, Karen Page as sort of their, as their legal secretary, she doesn't have any, it's too passive a role for modern TV shows and yeah. modern, um, you can't have, there's nothing really you can't have a to female do lead character yeah, yeah, and just have her be like, I'll get you coffee. You guys gotta do better. So they put this well, position uh, in. And be of, the love interest. Right, right, and be the yeah. love interest. But if you set her up as basically the Ben Yurick character as the reporter who knows Daredevil's secret and then can feed him information but is also, and also has her own goals or her own investigations mm-hmm. and then that stuff, it's a dynamic engine for the character, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a relatively smart choice. But when you turn around and do, Jesus, any one of a number of stupid things that they did with Elektra in, like, season two or even in the finale. 
I, I honestly think the Defenders is much worse. Like, I think the whole Black Sky thing is... Oh, it's is, horrible. Is, no, no. Yeah, it's like, you, you literally don't understand the character. No, well, and they couldn't even convey it. Like, it was very much like, oh, you're the Black Sky character, and then there's like... And so young people be like, what's the Black Sky? And she's like, I'm the Black Sky. Right. Well, even that thing, even Sigourney Weaver saying that stuff, half those scenes, again, the thing is, is that, and I will say this, I'm 100% convinced, Defenders is all filler. It is all filler. They literally had nothing to do, even the stuff the other members of the hand they interrupt, I mean, just the fact that, again, Black Sky, okay, but then when they have the character who's named White Hat, I was like, how little thought are you putting into this? Like, you're just, like, speed writing yeah, at that point. They're hitting the deadline. They're, it was. I Okay, because we've badmouthed the Defenders, like, in three different books. Oh, this is great. Stuff. It is true, yeah. But uh, moving on, then. Uh, Drew Goddard doing the X-Force movie. What do you think? Uh, I just heard the announcement. I would see where it goes. I have a lot of trust in the guy. It sounds like a better fit than him doing that Spider-Man Venom Dinosaur Island movie or Savage Land movie. Wasn't that the whole thing? I Drew, thought he was doing Secret uh, Six. I thought uh, that's a Spider-Man movie he was attached to. Oh, that could be as how it developed. But I swear the Sinister Six movie, like, in the leaked emails where they were talking about it, because, of course, there was this whole yeah, thing yeah, yeah, about yeah. him trying to get the hell out of Marvel, and it seemed amical, but then they are going to fuck him on the fees or whatever. Amy Pascal and the various, whoever the fuck she was trading things with, Scott Rudin and whomever, her stuff of what they were talking about with the Spider-Man movie, was the Sinister Six movie was looking like, was really weird. Because the Savage Land was involved. It was really heavily Again, with the Savage Land. how did they get the right... I guess they got... No. Savage Land should theoretically be under uh, Marvel or Fox. Because it debuted in the Marvel Universe in the X-Men comic. Right. I think maybe they were just going to go with, like, a generic dinosaur universe. Who, who you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a, I mean, that's uh, yeah. it. That is I, it. I don't even understand. There's lots of stuff in the center yeah. But, yeah. But so there there was just stuff where he was kind of like, and I, personally, I'm like, oh, like, Drew Goddard was like, yeah, for $300 million, I will make my version of the first six issues of Marvel Fanfare, and it will kick ass. And they were like, yeah, sure. Uh, why should we do that? He's like, dinosaurs and Spider-Man. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah. We you know, like Jurassic Park. We yeah, like, and, we like Spider Man. And who knows? People could revisit this, and hopefully, will the great thing about our listeners is they do a lot of course correction after the fact to to let my keep my rambling in a context. Uh, so I could be entirely wrong. But so Fans, for me, Drew yeah. Goddard doing X Force is like I'm like yeah, he's he's like a fan guy. He's he's smart at adapting his material, and he's done really smart film stuff. I just have to say that part of me is like a lot of his choices, a lot of the choices that worked for me for the first season of the Daredevil show, I'm really quick to, to, to point to him for. And so I wonder how much of them like, wear them and how much of them were steamed tonight. Well, and it could be, it could later be that I'll like a written article and tonight stuff the, is. The, um, Pacific Rim sequels like. Oh, is that tonight? It's tonight. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's apparently like majority tonight, tonight apparently dumped everything he was given when he took it over. Makes sense. And, and, and who knows? Like, might be wrote. great. Yeah, might be great. Because didn't he do um, shit. Spartacus? Yeah, I was going to say Spartacus, which a lot of people seem to love and I was meant to check out. Because I, I never saw it. But I, I never saw it. But because of the way my job works, I once did a press room with him about it. Right. Um, and he was a fascinating interview about it. Uh-huh. Again, I never saw the show. Mm-hmm. But his focus on... You, when adapting something, when working with pre-existing characters and pre-existing stories, 
you have to get rid of everything that doesn't serve your story. Right. Like, he had bare, like, he was really clear in that. Mm -hmm. He was like, I, there's stuff I love that I can't put in. Right. Because it just wouldn't work. Like, I can't even fan service myself. Right. I have to do what is best for this, no matter how much I wouldn't want to see it as a fan. Well, you know, and that's, that ultimately is the way to go, I think. Yeah, I think so too. You know? Which may be, again. So, so maybe, like, I, I don't, because I, I generally don't know how much Goddard did before he he ditched Daredevil. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know because I know and I tend to overplay it. He did. Yeah. He did absolutely. In fact, the the first two, which I thought were super strong, were him. Yeah. And, and then he pops up as a few and might even end up as a. Anyway, uh, we'll never know. Yeah, uh, it'll be yes. interesting to see, see the. Sometimes you were both of them are going to go. Yeah, you know. I think I think modern X forces. I, I think probably a potentially. I'm really gonna good start just because I don't really like X force. Well, you don't. But the weird thing that I think is um, X force is is I think a really strong cinematic idea. You know what I mean? You, the it's, look on your face, it's right? X Men who kill people. It's it's proactive X Men. You know what I mean? Like like the, part of the problem with superhero movies and a lot of the problem with superhero stories. Is that superheroes are are reactive? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is why the supervillain ends up being the guy in the driver's seat for so many of the supervillain movies. Yeah. Once you go to X Men who kill, or basically X Men's Suicide Squad, yeah, then oh God, I literally was just like yeah, Suicide Squad was beloved by everyone. <laughs> well, because it was shittily done, but everyone was into the idea. Because again, the. The Dirty Dozen is a quote-unquote inherently yeah. cinematic yeah. idea. But that's just that, like, I feel... I feel that the idea of, like, the X-Men's Dirty Dozen mm-hmm. has never worked for me. Like, I, like X-Force has never been that. Right. You know? And I worry that, especially that they're like, it's Deadpool-driven. Like, Deadpool is the main character in X-Force, mm-hmm. the movie. And it's all about Deadpool and Cable. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, but we're getting the Liefeld X-Force. We might. Mean, and yeah. that's where I'm like, no offense, you guys. I don't want to see Shatterstar and Feral, you know, on the big screen. See, but this but is... Because for me, that's not the X-Men's 30 Right. Do you know what I mean? That's... That's, that's, that's Rob Liefeld. Yeah. But see, this is it. When Drew Goddard signs up and does X-Force, and in theory, you've got, like, the whole Fox whatever they've Things got in the up, X-Men yeah. umbrella, yeah. Yeah. then you can start being do, able to pull yeah. your favorite Who's characters. Who doesn't do Reminders X-Force? Exactly. With, like, Much closer cable. to that. Yeah. 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 So he he can bring in a bunch of characters that he think are great. And is, yeah, as long as it's stapled to Deadpool and Cable, then he can go a long way. I think I think it's got potential. But, of course, as you know, I liked X-Force a little bit more, yeah. particularly yeah. in the yeah. Remender O'Penny stuff. That I'm also did. worried that because Deadpool's going to be the anchor character, yeah. it's going to be Deadpool's one. Well, do you know what I mean? Like, right. the last thing I want to see is X-Men's Dirty Dozen, and by the way, waka waka waka. Yeah. You and, know? I, and I think, and I think, <laughs> it, and, and, and it may really run in and out of that, which is also, again, why I think that they're sort of like, well, you know, kind oh, Goddard's of. Goddard's funny. Yeah, Goddard's funny, and there's kind of that idea of like, look how Sue's, how well Sue's squad, squad did, imagine if it really had been good. And there is a little bit of like, people are like, People wanted a more fun Suicide Squad. Yeah. That's what people were responding that, to in the, the trailers. trailers were. Yeah. yeah, the trailers so, were, this is going to be over the top and wacky. Exactly. So, and instead it was, I don't even know what I right. like the movie. Exactly. Oh my God. I mean, did you see the Suicide Squad cosplayers today? 
Uh, you and I yes. were talking about the fact that like we didn't see Twin Peaks cosplayers. Yeah. But did you see Suicide Squad movie cosplayers? I saw a couple of them. I saw a couple of them. Because I saw... Uh, I was Enchantress shocked. was... I definitely saw a couple of Enchantresses. Okay, I missed the Enchantress. Of course, I saw there Harleys. were several Harleys. Yeah. I thought I saw one Deadshot, but I could be confused because what impressed me was there was a trio of surprisingly good Bat Family cosplayers. Yeah. There was a really strong Nightwing and a really good Red Hood, and I forget who the first of the three was. Mm. And that was toward the end of things. Yeah. But, um... But no, I remember seeing, like, wow, someone likes Suicide Squad enough to go, I'm going to dress up as the Enchantress. I... Well, yeah. Yeah, but I kind of see it, though. Because I think there's a little bit of the, um... I'm going to have to rewatch that film. I genuinely... Don't. Don't. No, no, Graham, no. I I liked it. And I'm going to have to rewatch it and be like, was I I just, like, in a weird mood, actually? Like, I wouldn't like it now. It's the same reason I wanted to rewatch Batman or Superman. Because part of me is like, I think I'll watch it again and just not like it. I think I think it just wants it to like them enough sure. that I like them. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I it do is, know what you mean. And it's it it hard not to, the, it was hard not to be, uh, it's like, did I did I scream that at you during the <laughs> podcast? Because no, 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 I feel no. like I did. But, it, but it's also like, because uh, you, yeah, you, me, and Matt were talking about Rogue One today. Yeah. And rewatching Rogue One was wretched for me. And, and I literally remember nothing from the first time I saw it. And I'm like, I sort of times. need to watch it. Three times? Three times. Yeah, I was going to queue it up on, now that it's on Netflix. That's I'm like, I should try watching it and check it out. And yeah, and, and of course he was, he was into it. And of course, Tegan O'Neill thinks it's the best Star Wars film ever. Which yeah. I'm just, I, I, I genuinely, part of I, the reason I don't get that is, it's so not the Star Wars in my head. Mm-hmm. Which includes, like, the corniness, the humor. Right. You know, the character beats. Right. Uh, well, but which, I think... Because I, I think, you know, Rogue One is almost devoid of character beats. I, oh, I think it's void of character, practically. You know? I mean, uh, which is kind of the, you know, which is, an which argument is, that again, about Star of Wars. The, but it's also yeah. kind of the point of Rogue One, do you know what I mean? Rogue right. One is like the, we're dark and gritty, and we're well, about getting the job done. It's, it's, it's the dirty the dozen yeah, of Star right? Wars. Exactly. Um... But yeah, it's, but it's so devoid of the things that I like about Star Wars. Sure. I'm like, it can't be the best Star Wars film. It could be a film I would like better than Star Wars, but it's not the best Star well, Wars film. And it's not the most Star Wars film. There are some people who really were, and I think this was oh, Tegan O'Neill's big point, yeah. that really, A, really dig it, and B, who are kind of like, I really want the wars in the Star Wars. Yeah, and their whole I, yeah. feeling was is that there was a little bit, and there that was honestly there was more of that in the trailer that ended up in the finished product. Yeah. I think, of I, like, I, yeah, and I, I, I don't. Hey, pivoting off that because this is the most digressive podcast we've done in a long time for sure. Um, a, Kelly Thompson and Mario uh, Marco Cicero's Captain Phasma comic is really fucking good, Jeff. Oh, really? First bit of issues out this week. It's really good. Uh, Captain Phasma is the Gwendolyn Christie character from, from uh, The Force Awakens. Yep. Pretty much a non-entity in that film. I think we yes. all agree. Like, a visual, but with no character. Yeah, completely so, which was frustrating. Kelly Thompson, in 20 pages, gives you such a great idea of who this character is and makes them a character that you want to read. Really? By basically going... Because it t- picks up immediately after you last see the characters. Like, she right. comes in the trash compactor. First page is her stepping in the trash compactor and being like, well, fuck this shit. Hmm. What happens? She goes, she finds out that they've used her codes. And she's like, this is terrible for me. I'm going to delete this evidence. Oh, this guy found the evidence? I'm going to blame him and call him a traitor. And I'm going to kill him. 
And the rest of the issue is her being like, I'm going to hunt him down to the end of the fucking galaxy because he's a traitor. Everyone in the First Order, he's the traitor. Don't believe a fucking word he says. I'm going to kill him. Wow. It's great. You're like, she is utterly focused and utterly ruthless. And I love it. Yeah, that's kind of great. It's such a great... And it's, it moves really quickly. But it is 20 pages of like, this, this character is not a true believer in the First Order. This character wants herself to advance right the end well isn't that kind of interesting i mean you sort of talk about the like what star wars is and what star wars isn't like i feel like what i'm missing in that is i also found the Captain phasma comic really funny well that which might help which yeah, might help which really does help like it, 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 i find it a funny comic i feel that i feel that the the original star wars trilogy as opposed to the prequel trilogy has Soft anti-heroes, I guess. You know, Han Solo being like, sure, you know, for at least kind of as a half pose, that soft. Yeah. I feel, I sort of feel like the current wave of Star Wars stuff runs a lot strong. People are a lot more into harder anti-heroes yes. or actual villains. Yes. It seems to really be more of a success. Which is the second thing I was going to say is, uh, I read the, uh, Shit, what's the full title? Star Wars Battlegrounds 2 Infernal Squad book. Wow. Okay. Which is the book that ties in with the new video game that's coming out. Uh-huh. And that is, again, another Star Wars that dirty doesn't. Mm. But it's the bad guys. Mm-hmm. It's the team that's set up after the destruction of the first Death Star to take out the bad guy, the betrayal, the betrayers in the Empire. Oh. The Empire sets up people being like, hey, people aren't true to the cause. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're the guys who have to go and take them out. Right. And it's, again, a great book. Mm-hmm. When I say great book, like, it's not literature. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. like, this is one of the funniest books I've ever read. Well, yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. But it is, however, a great read. There's I Mouse, think. and then there's Star Wars Battleground right? 2 Infernal Squad. Exactly. Just the title alone lets you know. Um, with that, with that many words, you know you're in for quality. <laughs> but it's super fun. But it is, again, like, amazingly dark. Mm-hmm. And does the thing that a book like that should do, which is, it does kind of make you think the Empire are the heroes. Like, you know they're right. not. Like, that's right. very clear. No, 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 But no, no. you root for them the entire fucking way through the book. Interesting. Yeah. You know? You're like, I hope these guys, who I know are knowingly complicit right. in a genocidal organization. Yeah. And not only complicit, like, gleeful. Right. It, you know, about supporting a genocide. But I hope these guys don't get found out. I hope, I hope these guys get away with the mission. You do, and you're like, oh, wait. Yeah. Something's going on. But also, that's a good sign. That's the sign the book's working. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. For but sure. again, much harder in terms of the anti-hero, like, outright villain. Yeah. But I think that's where Star Wars is now. Who who, who does it? Do you know? Do you remember? I don't know. Christy Golden, maybe? I might be making that name up. Okay. Because I also got, it's right behind your head, the... um the new Princess Leia, like, happens before the, like, happens before the A New Hope. Uh. But it's also seeding the Last Jedi book that huh. came out. Right here. Where is it? I'm like, Ugh. Oh, thank you. Ah! Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, the, but it, it's, uh, I think it's Christy Gordon, I could be wrong. This is Claudia Gray. That's Claudia Gray, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but it's, it's funny reading all this stuff mm-hmm. because you are like, oh, I guess this is Star Wars now. Star, yeah, right. 
But like I said, Phasma is Phasma has moments of comedy, right? Whereas, like maybe Rogue One does, but I honestly can't remember a joke in Rogue One. Well, the thing like, that the, I find the, the fascinating robots, is right. that's that's it. Yeah, well, which is has varying degrees of whatever. Right, but, and also Snark isn't. Yeah, jokes. Well, I also I think I think there might be a lot to be said for the fact that you know, um, Jason Aaron's strong start on Star Wars aside. Like Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader is the was the most popular successful yes. Star Wars book. Yeah. It wasn't and it's very me. funny, right? And people are like, "Look at that! Go to that!" You know, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't surprise me if the editorial staffs kind Talk, of talking about that. Marvel sent out PR, and I don't think it pick, got picked up by anyone. And I'm kind of glad about that. About Jason Aaron ending his run, oh, by calling it a historic 37 issue run. <laughs> And I wanted to be like, you guys. Yeah. Really? Yeah. A historic 37-issue run? No. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Because it is, it's, that's, yeah, good grief, you guys. Jesus. And he celebrated it with a YouTube video uh, showing the covers. Like, really, that was the beer. I don't know. It's just, we've talked about everything, apart from... What we've actually been reading lately. I, was, I talked about Micronauts. Right, you told me about really, Micronauts. Really I've been reading lately. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, because of course there's that weird, when you and I talk, I of course have, I've made notes in advance. Yeah, and, and you I, totally haven't done that. Before. I haven't done that, and I don't have my iPad. What was the last comic into. you read? Couldn't, couldn't tell you. Couldn't t- I, I, I mean, I'll tell you what sticks out for me in my sure. brain, is I read the most recent issue of Walking Dead. Uh, that was something that, yes. I love that every single time we do this. Yeah. The most recent issue of Walking Dead is always on the list, and it's always, always. One, it's always one of the things that you you think of first. Yeah, it it, it is, and it's, it's weird that way. Yeah, me. it is. And what's fascinating? I think if I pressed you, you'd be like, "Yeah, I, I, the book's lost something," but it's always one of the first things you mention. You know what's interesting to me is is it's got a second life for me now, and oh, I has do it? it does, and I don't know if that's like the book is quote unquote better. Arguably, well, I think for people who never liked the book and never saw the appeal, it's even worse now. Well, that's just it. You like, know, it's, it's not yeah, everything. There may be people who, yeah. dro- who dropped off it, but at least for me, and I think at least from reading the letter columns and trying to m- triangulate against other people, um, for me, getting it on digital and then being able to reread issues because I think I told you I even had one thing where I got a page in and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I skipped an issue, I forgot an issue. And and back in the day, that used to be practically a game ender for me because it would be you'd like you have to go and fucking find the issue exactly, and that was a nightmare for me. I was not organized in any way, but if being you able look, to if turn you look around, right behind your head right now, yeah, you'll see that pile of comics. Oh Jesus, is so that your to read pile? No, that's not my to read pile, but that's my I have read at some point in the last few months. Oh right, yeah, uh, and if you have to go back because right? it's not organized in any yeah. way, yeah. So so again with the with the iPad, it's literally. Like I'm like, oh shit! I have I I didn't read the previous issue. I can jump but back I can to the series. Go, like button, right. button. Here's the last exactly. It, worst case scenario is that I either deleted it off my iPad already, and I have to re-download it, or you know, or I purchased it because I have a subscription, yeah. and I was busy that week, and I didn't download it. Yeah. So it's an extra minute to download it. That makes a huge difference for me. Walking Dead has like a extensive character list, the majority of whom meant nothing to me and currently most of them don't but I'm also 
I'm, I'm following it more clearly yeah. and it's easier yeah. for me yeah. to revisit. It's interesting because, uh, Negan, who is such a successful Walking Dead villain mm-hmm. character, uh, this issue of Walking Dead is more or less like, oh, we're introducing Princess who talks like, um, Mrs. Negan, basically. She's, it's, but, but Negan, it's not. Negan worked well for us. Right, exactly. Let's, let's bring in Lady Negan. La- Lady Negan. But, but so far, it also kind of worked. Like, I don't mean that in the, she may end up being a villain or not, she might not. But just very much that Kirkman's doing the, oh, I'm, she's going to be a rambling talker. Yeah. And a kind of crazy loose cannon. Mm-hmm. But it also, but it also kind of worked. Yeah. So it's, so it's like, read that, I read that Batman issue mm-hmm. that came out this week. Uh, where I think we sort of basically covered it again. It's it's weird that it's weird that Tom King's going to do a hundred issue comic, a uh, hundred issue run on Batman, where I feel that Batman continues to be the weak point in the run. Yeah. Like there's so much other stuff that he ends up doing very very well. Um, I'm trying to think. Part of me is like, God damn, what came out last this this week? Um, of course, I've been running around. Oh, you know what I saw perennial favorite. In fact, I was going to try and introduce the podcast this way uh, as Jaws What? The the ongoing, our ongoing Jaws discussion podcast. Jaws was playing, because uh, people, so I stay at the Kennedy School when I'm in Portland, Oregon, which is uh, a, a uh, old school uh, that has been converted into a hotel with a ton of like bars and things, but it also has a movie it, it, theater, it movies, yeah. and I've never gone to a movie there, ever. Ever. And in fact, when I was here back in March and I was staying on my own, tied all together, Star Wars Rogue One was playing. And I, and when you stay at the hotel, you can see it for free. Yeah. You can just walk yeah. in you and grab a in. seat. And you didn't go? I didn't go. Because I was like, this is going to be such a waste of my time. Like, I'm in Portland for such a short period of time. Well, that was a super short miss of yeah, yeah, it's true. But I kind of had that thing of, like, this time, because leading up to, because the McMahon had been scheduled, whatever. Like, they were telling me all the movies that were playing until Thursday, but not what was playing on Friday. So I was looking at it, it was like, Cars 3, whatever the Jenny Slate movie was that's, uh, Landlines, or Party Lines, or Panty Lines, or I don't remember. It was, it's no a movie okay. set in the 90s, Jenny Slate. Okay. I like Jenny Slate. Uh... And then, uh, The House, which was a movie that I didn't even realize had been released with. Because oh, it died such a quick death. Seriously. Yeah. I was just like, this is the first I'm hearing of it. So, and then they wouldn't tell us what Friday movies were until Thursday and, night. And it was Jaws? Jaws. Jaws was playing at 10.15 on a Friday night. Did you watch Jaws last night? I did. And it was fucking great. Oh my god. Jaws, I told, we should totally have the Jaws cast, where it's like, you, you and I, like, we discuss one panel from Watchmen, we make 20 minutes of dad jokes, we play Dating Dad, or Dating Daddy, what is it called? Dream Daddy. Dream Daddy, <laughs> and we discuss all the various Jaws, movies, shows, <laughs> incarnations, and recreations, because, oh my god, Jaws is such a fucking movie. I died of movie. Jawsing. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah, a dad of Jawsing. That is the best title ever. People are like... Is it pornographic and foreign, or is it just... Anyway, so good. I, I feel like there was something in particular where I was like, Graham, we have to like watch all the Jaws I honestly, movies I have not reviews. seen Jaws in years. 
like years. You know, the thing that's crazy is it might have been my first time seeing it on the big screen. I don't feel like that's the case. I told you before that Jaws 4 I saw in theater. Yeah, yes. Well, see, that's it. We talked about it. You saw Jaws 4 in the theater, which beats my, I saw Jaws 3 in 3D in the theater. I think I and Jaws, saw Jaws 2. Jaws 3 yeah, I think, I think, and I saw Jaws 2. I had seen Jaws, but only small screen stuff. And in fact, weirdly enough, I remember having weird flashbacks while watching it to like, Oh God, I remember when ABC got the television broadcast yeah. rights for Jaws and made it like this major three hour movie thing. And every time there was like, it went to an ad and came back from an ad, they had little cuts from various parts of the movie, most of which were like the terrified kids yeah, bobbing yeah. in the yeah. water sort of thing. Great. Watching that movie, so amazingly good. The one thing that I want to point out to you, Graham McMillan, that I totally, didn't, I don't think, well, there was, there was three things I had never realized. One is is that Quince, the character of Quint that everyone loves, yeah. Erwin Shaw, yeah. is basically a shark. Like, the very first scene that you see of him, of course, he's scratching the nails down the blackboard, but he's also eating. He's, like, cutting up, like, a turnip or apple, and he's eating it with a knife. He's actually eating most of the scenes in the movie. And, of and course... he's always in motion. Always in motion, and always with those dead eyes. The dead <laughs> eyes. Um, and and actually smiling a lot, too, but in a mirthless way. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of great. The other thing I didn't realize is, is that see, there, and I don't know how I missed this, it, because it's so apparent on the big screen. I what you'd say something like, it's about a shark. Yeah, right. <laughs> the shark, Graham, does not appear for a huge chunk of the movie. It's, the shark is not real. Stunning. That would be great. <laughs> it's basically Sheriff Brody's sexual inadequacies, oh and God. he more or less kills the, Quint. The most Jeff Lester theory in the world. Oh my, what? <laughs> oh, I can't, ah. What, what is your real third Slander thing? cast. What, What's that? What is your real third I don't want to talk about it now. <laughs> that was the theory. No, 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 no. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a theory. It was just the scene where, uh, Hooper and Quint are comparing scars, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I got this one and I got that one and I got this one. I somehow missed, there's this, there's a point where Roy Scheider pulls up his shirt and he's got a scar. He's got a bullet scar and he never says anything because mm-hmm. they keep talking and he's sort of embarrassed and he puts it back down. And the extent to which that does or doesn't matter that doesn't get into the conversation is whether that's him as outsider yeah. or there's also a lot of weird stuff about that's sort of taken for kind of granted of like you're scared of water why the hell did you move to an island and of course he's like it's only in an island if you look at it from the water and Hooper's like right that makes sense but there is this thing of like he's always justifying why he moved to Amity and it's like oh because you can raise your kids here at one point while he's drunk he's like oh you can make a difference but I love the fact that there's a scene where he pulls up his scar and you see a bullet wound yeah, and, and he just he, drops it back like, down. This, this is why. Yeah, and yeah. that's why. This, this is why. There, yeah. there is so much good stuff in there that Spielberg does that is just, just absolutely brilliant. But the fact that there was that, and it was like, I never caught that before. I genuinely love, given how much you love Jaws, and yeah. you do, like you genuinely love the Jaws series. Yeah. S- sincerely. Yeah. I love that that was randomly playing. 
Because there's no reason. No, I know play. exactly. And, and, no, and no, 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 no. And I was like, and oh my god, you're staying in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, that, that's wonderful to me. I, I did have a moment where I was like, God, should I call Graham? But I knew that you were like, I'm, I'm not going to drive yeah, over a ten. Of, yeah, exactly. Ten fifteen at night, honestly, and that was it. I honestly would be like, good luck. Jeff. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, as it was, it finished at twelve thirty. I was so goddamn tired, and I stumbled. But I only had to stumble down the hall yeah, to exactly. the room. Um, there was also ah, shit. Oh, the other thing that is actually really scary about Jaws is that it is motherfucking timely. Um, because Jaws is so much up, it's not, it's not, and it's, it's just that if you capture it correctly, it maps properly across many situations. But frankly, there's a lot about Jaws that as, I don't know if everyone else listeners, if you feel the same way that I do, but traveling up to Portland across one state that was on fire, into another state that was on fire and hearing about all the other states in the United States that, that are, are on fire, fire as opposed to the parts of the South that are basically underwater or being destroyed by hurricanes. And you kind of have this horrible, like, oh, wow, yeah, we kind of fucked up the world and the world is fucked up. And how the fuck did this happen? Jaws is surprisingly creepily relevant because, and again, one of those factors that really doesn't didn't sink in for me, in Jaws... The mayor, uh, Larry, I forget his last name, is basically a climate change denier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's basically like, oh, there's no shark. Yeah. There, because the money, because the money is so important and he's so tied to the money, there's all these executives who first try to lie. Like the, the whole fact, I don't know how I missed this, I think, but there's this level at which, uh, Brody, Sheriff Brody, is told that it's a shark accident by the medical examiner. And he writes it up and he starts putting the things up. And then the mayor's like, I don't think that's a good idea uh, to say that. You don't necessarily know. And then the medical examiner calls him and is like, you know what? It was it was a boating incident. It was a boating incident. And interestingly enough, at least for me, on the big screen, uh, I always sort of seen, because Brody was like, oh, well, that seems convenient. Like, I always got the sense he didn't believe it. But weirdly enough, watching it on the big screen... It's, it's very much like, oh, he, he does believe the medical examiner. He doesn't believe that the medical examiner is, lo- is uh, uh, able to have that level of corruption mm-hmm. that he would lie. So once they change it, he's kind of, um, Brody's kind of bashful. And what's great is how ashamed he is later when he, you know, when basically... It, it's it's, it's hard what it really is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Dreyfus is like, this is no boating accident. But also uh, the other stuff, as he gets angrier, and of course, as Brody gets blamed for the death of the child, mm-hmm. there's a whole thing in which the, and it's it's really, again, see Jaws like nine million times, but, and it one scene hits you one way and it doesn't. But yeah. because of the current situation of where we're at, when the mother slaps Brody and is like, you know, my son is dead, you know? And it's very much this idea of like, you know, and again with the beaches and all this stuff, this idea of like, how can you sacrifice a beach full of people just for money? And it seems like the most monstrous thing. And of course for myself in our current stage of like, wow, are we astoundingly fucked? It's kind of like, it's really creepy that that's the part that's relevant. And in fact, the part is when they all get out on the boat and they go deal with the shark as beautifully filmed to be as creepy and horrifying and filled with as many sort of like 
turns and twists and also weird, strange, high doodly bits of high adventure where the John Williams score is like, sparkling music is like barrels go through the water and you're like, what the fuck is high adventure about watching barrels in the water? You realize how much they're going to understand. Right. I don't. I'm not a true, true aficionado. You realize how much Spielberg and Williams are finessing things. Mm -hmm. But it works because unlike later movies where you get John Williams to telegraph things and then you get Spielberg to telegraph it in the storytelling and then you get the characters to tell you what it all means. Yeah. Jaws is kept pretty. It's, it's a tight film. Yeah. Yeah. Comparatively. Great film. But I was, I was stunned and appalled to be like, oh man, A, it's got something to say to us in 2017. And of course B, the more terrifying, like it's 40, 42 years old, that film. Yeah. The fuck? But also, like, it's because something says this is 2017 because we've learned shit. Well, yeah, right? The end. Whoa-ho! So, yeah. Go team ash falling from the sky. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter about what's happened in Portland over the last week. Yeah. No. Motherfuckers. Exactly. So on that very note, Graham yeah, McMillan. I feel we should drop it up. We're, yeah. we're approaching the two-hour mark. We, shit. we have talked... About everything. <laughs> and yet, somehow, I don't know if we've said anything. I, yeah, well, that that is the podcast mantra, isn't it? So, But we have invented a whole new, uh, was it, a dad of jawsing? <laughs> a dad of jawsing. Tune in for our new podcast. I kind of can't wait to start in on it. So, What's really worrying is that you might actually do this. Like, even as a joke, why even one episode? I sort of want to do one episode, <laughs> i got to admit. Yeah, completely. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff. Yes. Right. We're not back next week. Or are we back next week? I'm, I'm genuinely oh, lost. Oh, shit. I, do, I like, have we're not. Touch. We're not back next week. Right. Because there's, uh, you're up to something. Was it me? I thought it was yeah. you. No, because I was going to be up to something, but you volunteered first. It's your fault. I can't remember why. Jeff has literally just thrown uh, his. I don't. I don't have my laptop to check the calendar. So yeah, I, I, no, I'm. I'm pretty sure. And Jeff will anything to tell. Like, put come in right now and tell me if I'm wrong. Right. But no, I don't think we're back next week. I think we're back in two weeks. Yeah, let's say that's no. That's definitely true. We're back in two weeks, and then we're off for a week. A week because I'm in New York. Right. I knew New York yeah. was coming up. But so. so it is. We're off for a week. We're back for a week. We're off for a week. We're back. Okay. That's how we're doing it. Beautiful. That makes sense. You can track that, everyone. We can't. But we're, you can. we're not here next week. That's all you need to remember. Yeah, take some time off. Relax. Enjoy yourself. Go and watch Jaws. Apparently, it's a great film. Fucking amazing film. Yeah, really it's great stuff. Jeff's oh. really serious and sincere. We, why, I did. I totally more. remembered another theory. What? It's, it doesn't. It doesn't map. There's a lot about Jaws that feels like it's about movie making. Also, oh, I can see that. Yeah, which is which is kind of Spielberg, strange. especially like sure. Well, it's weird because I feel like Spielberg talks about movie making in in various indirect ways. Like it's very much kind of uh, what it means to sort of be an artist. Yeah, <laughs> what to have the power that is wielded by an artist. Uh, sure. People who heard my guest appearance on uh, Travis Pickle on the Riviera. Um, uh, Sean Witzke and I spent some time talking about Lincoln and my various um, uh, profane, deeply profane theories about Spielberg and, and his relationship to fame. Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, Jaws is very much that. Uh, the other thing I realized is how much in the movie, um, and there may be a strong Altman influence. I'm not entirely sure because I still haven't seen uh, Nashville, but 
in more than any other movie that I remember from Spielberg, there's lots of shouting, like people are shouting and coming up and shouting at Brody, and then he's having to run past them and ignore them, and you're hearing lots of off-screen dialogue where Mm -hmm. people are saying stuff, and it's great on the big screen. I'm like, oh, I can actually hear that people are saying something like, oh, that's crazy, like we'll all be on welfare by August or whatever. But how much, uh, as the small sheriff of a town... He constantly has people running up to him and being like, you have to help me fix this thing. What do I have to do with the thing? And he's like, I'll be right back. i got to deal with this thing right now. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of that for the first third of the movie where it's kind of Roy Scheider, like the Martin Brody as film director kind of, but in that like I have to put out all these fires and everyone's both expecting me to do it and I'm also the authority figure. Yeah. And I do think there's something strange about in the movie Jaws about authority and authority figures. Cause of course Brody starts off, he's the sheriff of the Island. He's sort of an authority figure, but he's not. And, and when you see both Quint and Richard Dreyfuss's characters who are authorities about sharks in different ways and in the way that they eventually sort of, um, combine, uh, Brody ends up going out on the ship and it's not the quote unquote learning to be a man, but he basically learns to carry himself with this weird true level of authority. Sure. So anyway, one other thing that I was about Jaws that I was like, Oh right. So, so yeah, what watch Jaws and movie crop. Yeah, really be awesome. Um, I honestly thought when we sat down to do this, it was going to be like a super sharp one. You were like, you were like, eh, yeah, forty five minutes, much. people will put up with it. Yeah. And instead two hours later. Or two hours ish. I have no idea how long we've actually probably recorded. <laughs> uh, but this is the point where I will say, uh you can get show notes for this episode, or probably not. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Jeff They'll Jonas, be heavily truncated. Jeff yeah. show notes are literally just gonna be the Jaws trailer. That would be great. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Be it. Um, anyway, they're on waitwatpodcast.com. There is a Tumblr, waitwatpods.tumblr.com. There is a Twitter, at waitwatpodcast. Jeff's Twitter is at lazybastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. My Twitter is at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Yeah. I see, I, it's because you're looking at me. It threw me oh, off. Oh, did it? Okay. It the weird part, yeah. listeners, is, and to make Graham feel somewhat better, but it's also the truth. He's saying all of this stuff off the top of my, his head. As uh, you know, he'll do head. this from five minutes without looking at anything. I only have to say two sentences, and I have to open up my notes program and read them every time. And I goof them up. So let's and see what, what happens now. What's really funny is because Jeff has no notes program. That's right. Uh, but I'm about to say that we are a Patreon supporter podcast. And Jeff has the thing about Patreon. Do you want to try it or not? Yeah, I should. I, uh, listeners, we're super grateful for the fact that you listen to us. Not every week, but oh so many weeks. And not for hours and hours, but for Oh, so I know, many hours. Literally, hours and hours. Yeah, kind of, pretty hours. much. Yeah, two. This, this would be amazing if we bring this one in under two. The last two have been two and a half each. Oh, you know, see, we're, is, doing, we're doing good. We're just, yeah. So, uh, we're grateful for the, for your support, the support and generosity of your ears. And also in the case of the people on Patreon, the generosity of their, their hearts and a little bit of their checkbooks in that they uh, throw us a bit of dosh to keep us motivated and excited and able to pay for some of our comics and uh, unwise comic <laughs> adventures in the case of whatever t-shirts I'll be buying tomorrow. 
And that uh, should also be in the show notes. You should just put up photographs of the t-shirts because I want to see which t-shirt you buy. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see which ones I do get. Yeah. I have to say, you should, you should I have some plans, but I don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> Patreon. We thank you for all of your support. As you know, the Baxter Building exists entirely because of uh, as a stretch goal and the generosity of the people who contribute to us on Patreon. We want to thank all of you, and uh, most especially the kind crew at American Night Art Studios uh, and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their continuing support of this podcast and I, this neck of the celestial arm. I was going to say, normally you make a joke about she's not destroyed the universe yet. Oh, thank you. This has been such a fucked up week. Oh, yeah. Terrible things happening. Yeah, yeah. The part of me is like, maybe she's trying. Maybe, yeah, maybe right, exactly. Maybe that's it. Time. Maybe I fucked it up so badly last week. I, I so, as people may remember, I so failed to plant that landing then Perth Audrey was like, well, fuck it. And which would explain why this coast is burning up and the other coast is drowning, so... To be slightly sincere for just a second, always a dangerous thing for Jeff and I. Uh, if you are in areas affected by the wildfires, the hurricanes, the like anything that is going on the, out there, the tropical storms, the mm-hmm. flooding, uh, you're listening to this. I, I'm stunned. I am kind of humbled. I hope yeah. we have distracted you and entertained you in some way, even if it's just shouting at us. Uh, and please stay safe during, through all of this. Please. It really has genuinely been a, a wacky and terrifying week. It really has. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for listening. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a Baxter building. I think that's right. Holy shit, everyone. We're in, we're into the post John Byrne issues of Fantastic Four. Uh, we're doing Do you remember two, 296 through 302, I think. Oh, 296. Yeah. Oh, was Prince last issue 295? Yep. Okay. 296 is 306. 302. 302. Yeah, because we're going all the way up to the Engelhart. Got it. Right. Right to the lip. Anyway, that's in two weeks. Thank you very much, as always, for listening, everyone. Bye! Bye! Oh my god, Jeff can do really well. I, at least at that moment, I could. I blame the beer. 